BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. Mm-hmm. He loves this song. <laughs> It is Wednesday, yeah, April man. 17th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, legendary, please stop, legendary <laughs> Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson returns. We welcome political pollster Jason McGrath, and it's Katie McFadden of the Sierra Club. Now your host, catch him at the Air Instrument Festival <laughs> this summer, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Give Em Hell Wednesday. And here's why. So for the last few days, people have been utterly obsessed with a man named Patrick Beverly. Who's that, you ask? Well, yeah, who is that? <laughs> I know who it is. Well, I'm happy to tell you all about him. Patrick Beverly is the starting point guard for the Los Angeles Clippers basketball team. Uh oh, I know what you're going to say, D. Uh, no sports talk allowed. Right, come on, wrap it up. Right. <laughs> he won't let me talk sports, everybody. Well, welcome, listeners, all right, all right, political yeah. listeners. Let me tell you this, Dr. D. There is a Chicago political connection to Patrick Beverly, so bear with me. All right, follow me, folks. Patrick Beverly is from Chicago. He grew up on the West Side. He graduated from Marshall High School, class of 2006. He was a great, and I say great, high school basketball player with memorable showdowns that I witnessed. What's going on, Norm? I witnessed him with my dear friend, Norm. Memorable showdowns against Sharon Collins of Crane and Simeon's Derrick Rose. Even you non-sports fans have probably heard of Derrick Rose. Anyway. In the current playoffs, Beverly's L.A. Clippers are up against the mighty world champion Golden State Warriors, which is a little like a couple of misfits, myself included, trying to convince Alderman and the Chicago City Council not to bow to the command of Mayor Rahm Emanuel and spend $2.3 billion on TIF deals in gentrifying neighborhoods that we don't need. Yes, yes, folks, as you can tell, I haven't quite... Turn the page on that one yet. (laughs) Anyway, a Chicago politician fighting the powers that be on a TIF deal is almost as tough as Patrick Beverly trying to lead his underdog L.A. Clippers uh, against the mighty world champion Golden State Warriors. But here's the thing. Patrick Beverly, unlike the Chicago Alderman, won't quit. Man... Doc Rivers, the coach of the team, he puts him on Kevin Durant, who's like five or six inches taller than Patrick Beverly, is a superstar, a Hall of Famer. And Patrick Beverly's like a junkyard dog. He won't give an inch. He's got pet he's got Kevin Durant so messed up. He's so much into Kevin Durant's head that the superstar is followed out of one playoff game and kicked out of the other one for fighting with 
Patrick Beverly. And after one of those games, Kevin Durant had to admit that he has a lot of respect for Patrick Beverly. Come on, D. Play that tape. This has to do with politics, right? Yeah. <laughs> do away. Okay. Hang tight. What was your view with all the exchanges that Patrick Beverly was having with you throughout the game and, you know, the subsequent ejection? Well, I've been playing against Pat Bev since he was at Arkansas, so I kind of know what he brings. He's a Chicago kid. I mean, grew up and raised in the Chicago area, so those dudes play with a, a different type of grit, you know, so I could appreciate that about Pat. And you know what you're going to bring to the table, you know, just the physicality, the you know, mucking up the game a little bit with his physicality, his talking, his everything. That's what he brings to each team he plays on. Hear that, folks? That's Kevin Durant, superstar, talking about Patrick Beverly, underdog. He's a Chicago kid, grew up in Chicago. Those dudes play with a different kind of grit. So here's my question. If athletes who come out of Chicago have a reputation for playing with a certain kind of grit, a certain kind of gutsiness, a certain kind of fearlessness, how come our politicians are the exact opposite? How come our politicians who grew up in Chicago don't play with grit, gutsiness, or fearlessness? How come? All right. Heidi out there, I know you're listening. I'm talking about people in the hey, city Heidi. of Chicago. <laughs> the last time I went on one of these rants, a good friend of the show, Heidi, said, what about me? Yes, there are exceptions to the rule, especially out as further you get away from Chicago, it seems, the exceptions grow. And there are some exceptions here in the city of Chicago. But by and large, our Chicago politicians, when it comes to tiff fights, just roll over. There's no Patrick Beverly in them. Man, I wish we had a few Patrick Beverly's in the Chicago City Council. Anyway, happy to report that yesterday, a collection of political misfits called the Grassroots Collaborative, yay, activists, filed a suit to try to overturn the Lincoln Yard deals on the grounds that the community, the upside, up gentrifying north side neighborhood is not really blighted and TIF deals are supposed to eradicate blight in poor neighborhoods. I would say the response to this is, duh, of course it's not blighted. That's where Chicago spends most of its TIF dollars, in b- communities that don't need them. Anyway, I applaud the Grassroots Collaborative for filing their suit, but I'm not quite sure they have much chance of winning. Cook County judges probably being as mm, <laughs> similar to Chicago aldermen, let's say, when it comes to upsetting powerful mayors. But... It's nice to know that the spirit of Patrick Beverly lives on, at least with a few brave Chicagoans. Give them hell, Grassroots Collaborative and Amisha Patel. And the sports talk ends (laughs) right now. We got a great show, everybody. Monroe Anderson, speaking of tough guys like Patrick Beverly, will be in the studio uh, at 1.30. He'll be talking Trump, Trump, Trump. And Trump, and we'll probably have to say a few times, the views expressed by Monroe Anderson are not necessarily those of the men trust. What a dirty sailor this guy is. Have you ever heard Monroe Anderson interviews? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Don't let the kids around. (laughs) And then uh, Jason McGrath will be here, political pollster extraordinaire. I'll be asking him about, you know, what he thinks uh, in the aftermath of uh, last week's election or the election that just went down in Chicago, what sort of the political climate here is in Chicago, and maybe get his thoughts on the uh, upcoming Democratic primary. Man, oh, man, it is gearing up. 
I couldn't stop talking about Bernie Sanders on Fox TV, folks. He did pretty good the other day. So we'll have Jason McGrath talking political news. And then uh, Katie McFadden from the Sierra Club will be in the studio talking about the need to have a sane, sensible environmental controls throughout the state, the city, the country, and everything else. So lots of political talk, environmental talk, local talk, Trump talk, Chicago talk, Patrick Beverly from Marshall High School talk. Do you going to let me talk about Patrick Beverly anymore? Got about three more seconds. Go for it. <laughs> Love Patrick. Remember? All right, you're done. Anyway, but before we do any of that, Dr. D with the news. I am Dennis. It's the middle of Wednesday. Let's find out what everyone's gossiping about in the national news this afternoon. Big day in D.C. tomorrow. A release of a redacted version of special counsel Robert Mueller's mm-hmm. Russia investigation report is expected. And also, as expected, our president has a painfully obvious game plan in motion as we speak. USA Today reports that Donald Trump has at least a dozen lawyers and staffers lined up to pour through and prepare a rapid response upon the release of Mueller's findings. Each aide will have a designated section of the report to digest and summarize. Officials told the USA Today that the president's lawyers have been developing a, quote, counter report Uh, on legal issues involved in the investigation and may release that on thursday all right you say lawyers lined up to read the report when it's released yep i'll bet you a dollar to a donut they already saw the report what makes you think bar didn't go hey boss here's the report (laughs) and by the way do you think trump's lawyers get to read the parts that are (laughs) that was my chair it does the my chair oh. around. Sorry, guys. Broke the fourth wall that. there. That's a great sound. Do that again. Wow. That's like that's like the sound I make when I'm doing a car. Uh, anyway, well, I got some information for you guys today. Um, but you know, it's funny. Do you think Trump's lawyers, that squadron of lawyers that he's got lined up, ready to go over every inch of the Mueller report? Do you think they're going to have to uh, have a redacted report? You think they're going to put like little orange markers over their report? Uh, can't read this. Uh, no, no. No, they got the report, folks, and they get to read the whole thing. But you, the suckers, the saps of America, you don't get to read the report because they don't want you to know what your government is up to. You know what? Sometimes, D, when it comes to stuff like this, I find my the inner libertarian coming out of me. Almost God. Alex Jones, like, uh, there's fluoride in the water, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the documents. There's fluoride in the water. All right, so that's part A of the game plan. Lawyer up and Mm -hmm. spin whatever the hell comes their way. Okay. On to part B. Mm -hmm. And uh, part B is a new trend in politics, one started by the 45th president himself. And if we all want to live peaceful lives again, we can only (laughs) pray that it will end. Part B is obviously trolling on Twitter. Oh, what's he up to? President Trump shared his thoughts on uh, tomorrow's potential release of the redacted Mueller report. Let's read the tweet. Cue the ukulele. (laughs) (laughs) all right Uh, let's read the tweet from trump yeah here we go wow (laughs) fbi made 11 payments to fake dossiers discredited author trump hater christopher Steele. the witch hunt has been a total fraud on your president and the american people it was brought to you by dirty cops crooked hillary and the DNC. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'll tell you what. He is the maestro and the master. Got to give him credit of, of 
emanating those vibrations to his listeners who just pick them up and go, I will follow you. I will follow you. Even though you raised my taxes, even though you took away my health care, even though you have given away money to rich corporations that don't create the jobs that they say they will do, even though you've ripped the environmental protections and now I'm like breathing air that's toxic. <laughs> even though you've done all that, all you have to do is say crooked Hillary. And I am your robot. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, anyway, yep. that's the game plan, and he's following it to a T. In other news nationally, Bennett looks like we have a new 2020 presidential candidate to talk about. Oh. And no, there's not another candidate entering the Democratic POTUS bar fight, mm. at least not for the time being. Some guy named Seth Moulton is rumored to be announcing his candidacy soon. He's a representative from Boston. Mm. And no, no. It's not a wild card third party candidate like that guy the Chicago Tribune endorsed. <laughs> what was that guy's name again? Gary Johnson, oh, the yeah. Tribune. One of their, oh, God, a low point in the Tribune's history. Yeah. <laughs> they're so scared, okay? They're so, they, they, they're so right wing that they can't endorse. So I just have to go here one more time, D. Sorry. They're so right wing and just like so anti democratic and progressive that they can't endorse Hillary, but they're too chicken to come out and endorse Donald Trump because they know it'll like turn off all of Chicago, their base, because they people in Chicago hate Trump. So what do they do? I know we'll endorse Carrie Johnson. Oh my God. What a low point in the tri- Chicago Tribune's editorial board's history. Sorry about that, Eric Zorn. How's it going, Zorn? Hey, Zorn's a good guy, all right? Zorn is a good yeah, guy. All right, all right. But Ben, we have a Republican <laughs> primary challenger ready to go against Donald Trump. Bill Weld is his name. Uh, he's, the former, he's the former he's the former governor of Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and he believes many independents and even Democrats will take Republican ballots to vote for him. Ben, mm-hmm. what are the chances of Trump getting primaried? Uh, you mean being defeated in a primary? Yeah. Uh, a zero, about as great a chance of the city council voting against Mayor Rahm in a TIF deal. How about that? So uh, they need some Patrick Beverly's in the Republican Party, that's for sure. Some people with the guts to stand up to Donald Trump. Play like junkyard dogs, like the great Patrick Beverly. Go ahead, get it out, get it out. <laughs> I love Patrick Three, Beverly. Three, two, one, okay, you're done. No more sports. Today. Pride and joy of Marshall High School. Class right. of 2006. All right, stop with the sports. Let's read some quotes from Webb. Quotes. Webb. Weld. Weld? (laughs) Weld, Webb. Who cares? Quotes. (laughs) Why did I put Webb in there? I don't know. All right, let's do the quotes. (laughs) Quotes. My job is to make sure millennials, Gen Xers, suburban female voters who might not buy all of Mr. Trump's dog food, take... (laughs) Did he really say that? That's what he said. That's pretty good, Weld. Now, make sure they take that Republican ballot. They want to cast a vote directly against Mr. Trump. I'm not sure how serious Mr. Trump is about governing honestly. He has a one-word environmental policy, hoax. One-word immigration policy, wall. And, you know, (laughs) I think his lack of experience and preparation for the office shows. I, I'm ready to vote for the guy right now. Right <laughs> okay. now. I'm going to go sure vote for Wells. William yeah, Wells. Go look at his website. Maybe go, governor of Massachusetts. Why? Uh, by the way, I probably would never, ever, ever take a Republican ballot. But uh, that's an interesting thought that he thinks, based on what you just said, that like the those Republican, those swing voters in the uh, suburban areas outside of like Washington or whatever, these are like the mythical swing voters that David Axelrod and Rahm Emanuel are, are so concerned always about bringing over to the Democratic side. So he thinks he can bring them over to a Republican primary to vote, vote against Donald Trump. I don't know. That's a long shot, since, especially since Trump gave the wealthiest people in this country a huge tax break. I think, you know, 
at some a certain level, uh, money talks, and people who got that huge tax break of the Republican persuasion probably will look the other way as Donald Trump locks up uh, immigrants who come across the country from Mexico and uh, puts them, it separates parents from kids, et cetera. So, oh, look the other way about that. By the way, let me just say this. What's that? Great column in today's Sun-Times. Just got to give a shout-out uh, to, I got to find it, Phil Kadner, Watching a Nation's Ideals Turn to Ash, really moving, uh, tell it like it is column by Phil Kadner in today's Sun-Times about our immigration policies, the heartlessness of it all, and how both parties, uh, you know, have been barren of ideas how to deal with it, but uh, that Trump and the games that he's playing are, are really outrageous. Anyway, had to give that shout-out to Phil Kadner. Now, of course, we'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. By the way, live stream chat room. Where are you at? We just got Bruce Bruce in there. Oh, Bruce. I love just that. just sent a bunch of emojis. Where are you at, live stream chat room? Join us. What do you think about that news we just talked about? Or what, what do you think of Patrick Beverly? Apparently, we're going to talk about that a lot. Marshall High, 2006. Okay, please stop. Sharon Collins Crane, 2006. All right, sportsman. You ready to find out what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon? I was Born ready. Awesome. Because coming up after this short little break, we're going to find out what else is news. I cannot wait. This is the part of the day where Dennis plucks that little trick out of his little sleeve. We'll see what it is when we return. At Chicago and Cremation Options, we are committed to listening, educating, and guiding your family through the cremation process. Whether it is time of death or when planning your wishes for the future, Chicagoland Cremation Options can accommodate you at an affordable price and with great dignity. Avoid funeral home costs with direct access to a crematory for a cremation. Chicagoland Cremation Options, just south of O'Hare, five minutes west of Chicago. It's a family-owned business and operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Visit it at ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time, ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. If you would like to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, and who wouldn't, contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. We have several advertising options for your business or organization, and quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. At C-O-R-P as in Paul, dot com to advertise with the Ben Jarofsky Show, the Chicago Reader, and the Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of the Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments. Oh, commercial break over. Stop singing. Oh, I love that song. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. We are indeed live from my beloved Bright One Sun-Times studio. What a beautiful studio they built me right down the hall from the bathrooms, right? Very elegant. <laughs> you know, when you get here, to get here, you just follow the signs to the bathroom. You go, two bathroom, two bathroom. 
And then that when you get around a corner, it goes, oh, by the way, Ben Jarofsky over here. <laughs> just beyond the bathrooms at the beautiful sun. Oh, I think you created our next uh, tagline. Just what? beyond the bathrooms, <laughs> the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, show, show, show. Anyway, it's that time of day. Oh, yeah. That time of day that we love so much with the doctor takes the deep dive in the local news. What you got for me, boy? Yes, we're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for what else is news. Mm-hmm. Move over, Batman and Robin. <laughs> get lost, Bert and Ernie. <laughs> There's a new dynamic duo in town. Oh, my God. It's our Illinois governor and our Chicago mayor. Oh, yeah. More on that in a moment. But first, mm. our mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot, mm. or as Ben calls her when the mics are off, <laughs> Lincoln Yard Lori. Okay, hold on. I never said that, Lori. Please don't get mad at me. That's Dennis said it. Yeah. I always call you Land of Lincoln, Lori. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> That's Yeah, that's what it is, Lori. <laughs> Unlike our president, Lori Lightfoot is using the internet in a positive way. That's always good. The following comes from the one and only Fran the Woe Man Spielman of the Chicago Sun-Times. By the way, people, go check out the Fran Spielman Show. If you haven't yet, boy, are you missing out. She has fantastic guests, and she doesn't play around. She's a bulldog, man. She talks one-on-one with the guests, and she gets to it, right? She gets down, man. No! Give me the real answer there. Have it, have it. Chicago.suntimes.com. Yeah. Fred Spielman Show. Every Friday. I think they tape it right here in the bright one. Oh, they? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Over there's the Ben Jarofsky Show by the back. Yeah. <laughs> if you look over to, beyond that mountain. Oh, let me get my binoculars on. Uh, but, uh, but usually it's done early. So by the time I'm rolling out of bed, uh, the show's pretty much done. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but unlike our president, Lori Lightfoot uh-huh. is using the internet in a positive way. The following comes from the one and only Fran, the Woman Spielman of the Chicago Sun-Times. It's not easy building a city administration out of whole cloth in less than five weeks. That's apparently part of the reason why Mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot is asking for help from Mm. everyday Chicagoans. Lori Lightfoot, but let's be honest, people working for Lori Lightfoot, took to Twitter Tuesday night at 8 p.m. and tweeted the following. We're building a Chicago that celebrates our differences, inspires us all to be better, and embraces new ideas. Hmm. And that means we want to hear from you. Tell us your ideas on how we can build a Chicago for all, Lightfoot tweeted. Hmm. And below is a link to Lori's website, bettertogetherchicago.com, where you you can send the Lightfoot campaign your ideas. But judging by history and how ideas like this from politicians typically go maybe more importantly for them you could send Lori lightfoot your email address and you can get on one of those email lists that no one loves yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get those uh, email updates all the time you're on the tea party email list right i am on a tea party email <laughs> list i'm on a maga hat uh, email oh, list uh, Rauner for for the longest time and you know Rauner's the uh, former governor bruce Rauner, folks i know you've forgotten him already i have forgotten him i put him out of my mind yay for our teachers <laughs> yay for our teachers that guy? Yeah, that guy. That guy was sending me uh, emails all the time. Oh, Ben. And they were all like warning me about the horrible things that would happen if J.B. Pritzker and Mike Madigan. Remember that when Mike Madigan was public enemy number one? It was like for four years. You don't hear that much anymore, do you? No, you Somehow don't. Somehow life has gone on as we've known and <laughs> Madigan's still around, right? Yeah. Eating those apples. <laughs> apples are good for yeah, me. He loves apples. He guys. loves apples, folks. He's 70-something years old and every day eats an apple for lunch. And it's like somehow or other it gives him the energy. It fortifies him to go out and annoy the heck out of Rauner and other rich Republicans. Anyway, I used to get all those emails from Rauner. Yes, indeed. But, you know, maybe I'm wrong about that email theory I had because this next part's a little different. Mm -hmm. Back to the France Bielman article. Mm -hmm. Those interested in joining the Lightfoot administration are invited to submit a resume. Ben, I actually sent your resume over this morning. (laughs) They immediately replied and turned it down. (laughs) 
Damn. I haven't had a resume since like the 70s, I want to say. I just never got around to yeah, writing I tried, it. I tried making my own for you. Uh, lover of the Bulls. <laughs> kind of ran out of... Uh, lover of Patrick Beverly. Oh, I didn't put that in there. Uh, uh, I love Patrick. Did I tell you I love Patrick oh, Beverly? No, no more sports talk. talk. No more sports talk. All right. They are also reassured that the new mayor, who sold herself to voters as a change agent in a change election, mm-hmm. does not intend to abide by the slogan... That was the infamous title of Milt Rakove, Milton Rakove, University of of Illinois at Chicago Circle Campus, professor of political science, Milton Rakove, R-A-K-O-V as in victory, my my beloved Bulls will do next year, E. All right, so uh, (laughs) the infamous title of that guy's book, the title was We Don't Want Nobody, Nobody Sent in Oral History of the Daily Years. Yes, can I tell you a little bit about that? Yeah, please do. Okay. That is, as you said, an oral history of the daily years, and he interviewed people from all political persuasions. Milton Rakoff was one of those guys who sort of get along with the regulars. Those are the people who are the Chicago uh, part of the political machine and the independents, and he interviewed a great political figure in the city of Chicago, and I'm saying this from my heart, uh, Abner Mikva, who was a congressman, a legendary congressman from the south side of Chicago, Hyde Park area, South Shore area, before he moved to Evanston. And Mikva told a story about how when he was a University of Chicago law school student, he went to the local ward office and asked if he could uh, do some volunteer work. And they said, who sent you? And he said, nobody. And they said to him, we don't take nobody that nobody sent. Did I get that right? Did I get that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the story behind it. And that's become a legendary uh, term, a legendary saying for Chicago. Talks about Chicago politics. How you have to know somebody in the city of Chicago. How they have to have that inside connection. How you're nothing unless somebody says, oh, that's my guy. See, I'm like that in in, the business of radio, D. All right, if I go, hey, D's my guy. Doors open everywhere for you, all right? You're welcome. (laughs) Never thanked me for that, by the way. No, that's right. It was the reverse here. Yeah, remember oh. that free chicken sandwich you got because of me? No, I don't remember any free chicken sandwich. I got a free chicken sandwich. Okay, I'm lying. All right, okay. Anyway, he got me a job, and then I got fired. But anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Good times. All right, so I have Lightfoot's website open, bettertogetherchicago.com. Oh, all right. The live stream chat's moving here. Our friend Steven weighed in. He uh, put at Circle Campus. Wow, showing your vintage there. And then he put literally old school. Yeah. First of all, Steven, uh, who else knows about Circle Campus? You must be kind of old school yourself. But yes, you're right, Steven. I remember the day they called it Circle Campus. And you know why? Because it was like a circle. The campus was like a circle. (laughs) Hence the name, Circle. I still call it Circle. And they look at me. By the way, uh, uh, I just want to say we had the graduate student from UIC Chicago, so it's UIC Chicago, or Circle Campus, if you will. They settled their dispute, and now I hear that the faculty itself at the University of Illinois Chicago, or Circle Campus, if you will, uh, is talking about going on strike. So come on, State of Illinois, get your act together. This is an important institution in the city of Chicago, and you shouldn't have its faculty members going on strike. Anyway, so yes. I, I have Lightfoot's website open, bettertogethershicago.com. Ben, what the hell? What do you say we fill this thing out oh, okay. and give Lori Lightfoot an idea or two? All right, let's go. Well, let's try this. So uh, I got it open here. I filled out the top portion already, ask, <laughs> asking for our email address. By the way, 
<laughs> uh, we never mentioned this. If you want to email us, Benny J Show, B E N N Y, the letter J Show at gmail.com. That's our actual email address. Send us something. Okay, yeah, send us emails. Uh, whatever mm-hmm. you want, you yeah, know. Yeah. But, uh, okay, so I got send that. Send us bo- memes. Oh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> memes. memes through email. <laughs> yeah, memes. Interesting. <laughs> so I got this open yeah. here. I put that in there, Benny J Show at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have your neighborhood filled out in here. Okay. All right. Now it's asking us to select the topic for Ooh. our idea. Okay. All right, Ben, you pick one here. Our options, let me look, are right. public safety and accountability, mm-hmm. transportation and infrastructure, mm-hmm. arts and culture, good government, housing, business, economy, and neighborhood development, health and human services, youth, and finally, general slash other. General slash other. I'm going to go with, wait, there's one a development? Business economy and neighborhood development. I'm going with that one. Oh, on. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> Wait, Aaron is no. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. That's the one I'm going for. <laughs> there we go. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Now what do I do? I had a feeling you would pick that. All yeah. right. So, so it's called, what is it? I'm writing it down. Business What's economy it? and neighborhood development. Hold on. Business oh, economy and neighborhood. Oh, man. Let's keep these people entertained. <laughs> How right, about that? Know. Ben I'm, writing. Okay. There we go. <laughs> Get entertained or what? Okay, I got it. All right, so we got that here. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so it says, tell us more. Okay, Ben, it's time to submit our idea. Okay. Uh, I'll try to write this down as you go along here. Uh, mm-hmm. Go ahead, let it rip. Let's hear your idea. Follow well, along. you know, I uh, like to think uh, that uh, this is perhaps one, the most important uh, topic in the city of Chicago because really what they're talking about when they talk about neighborhood development, they're talking about the distribution of money. They're talking about carving up the pie and the way we distribute money in the city of Chicago, the way we carve up the pie is to favor one neighborhood or one a certain select group of neighborhoods over every other neighborhood. Slow down, in the city. slow down. I'm trying to write this. Oh, sorry. <laughs> neighborhood. Oh, okay, oh, sorry, go, go, go. man. Okay. Did I tell you about Patrick Beverly from the West Side? I'm oh, sorry. Uh, and uh, so we, we, we favor some areas over others. Uh, this has been the policy of the city of Chicago uh, f- since about 1989 when uh, Mayor Richard M. Daley took over. Mayor Rahm uh, continued the policy. And my fear is that Lori Lightfoot will be under pressure to continue that policy even further. And we saw some of that mentality on display last week when the Chicago City Council in its infinite wisdom voted, what was it, 33 to 14 to approve uh, over $2 billion of property taxes to gentrify, to develop already gentrifying north side and near south side neighborhoods. Well, slow down, slow down. Okay. Mentality display, $2 billion. Okay, go, go, go. Okay, and so instead of spending that neighborhood, uh, spending that money uh, fairly, distributing it throughout the city so that we can do the things that uh, we really need, like the economic development, like fixing streets that are falling apart, fixing uh, viaducts that are falling apart, fixing train tracks that are falling apart, fixing, cleaning up old factory abandoned areas, uh, maybe rebuilding schools, doing things that would help ordinary uh, neighborhoods and working class people, uh-uh. Instead of spending the money fairly and distributing it equally throughout the whole city so that everybody can share with the blessings of a bountiful city, how about that? They're concentrating it in a handful. How do I spell bountiful? Oh, a trip to, I don't know, B-O-U-N-T-I-F-U-L. Oh, thank you. Instead of doing that, they concentrate in a few cities which just are booming, all right, and so then they let the others trickle down to the rest of you. Trickle, 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 
called Trickle Down Economy Economics in the city of Chicago. And by the way, it's continuing. My beloved Bright One has a front page story. By, I think it's Franz Spielman. Yeah, here we go. I'm going to show that. See that, body. listeners? Transforming tracks into a gravy train is the headline. I love gravy. I love gravy. I love chicken, man. All right. Anyway, you go to page six, Grand Central. It's all about developing the near south side of Chicago, a little further south and a little further east from where they're already spending about a billion dollars to develop the 78. And this is like the railroad yards that are just across uh, Lakeshore Drive from uh, Soldier Fields. And so originally there was a development deal. Follow me on this, folks. Follow me where I'm going with this. And there was a development deal that some developer from Wisconsin was going to build over the railroad tracks and build this huge, humongous skyscraper, new community. And he said he wasn't going to do take any property tax dollars to do it. And I was like, all right, sounds good to me, man. It's economic development. It's jobs. You're not going to be uh, using property tax dollars to do it. Go for it, big feller. Anyway, lo and behold, this is so Chicago, the way they do this, D. All of a sudden, there's a study that says, well, <clears throat> they might need some money after all. And they're already gearing up to, get, uh, to put the pressure on the incoming mayor the mayor-elect uh, Lightfoot that I am writing this to, uh, to sign on to this. So what I'm asking is that we hold off on spending billions of dollars uh, and a handful of lucky neighborhoods until we see what all our other needs are throughout the city. And if we're going to use our economic development dollars to spur development in the city and create jobs, which is, I think is, a, is an important thing to do, we do it in a way that fairly uh, distributes the goodies throughout the city so that some neighborhoods aren't falling apart while others are crammed with development. So there, okay? Did you get all that? I, I ran out of room, man. <laughs> I lost track about five minutes ago. But all right, man. Hey, at least we tried. If you haven't already, head over to uh, that website. What is it again? Uh, Chicago bettertogether.com I believe mm -hmm. uh, head over to that website like our good friend Pat Rod did okay. Pat Rod said he submitted an idea yesterday about investing in the south and west sides reopening mental health clinics and reinvesting in schools wow and Pat and I, it sounds like Pat and I are eye to eye on all that yeah the mental health clinics what a what a um what one of the cruelest moves that Mayor Rahm did was he closed those clinics in that first uh, budget of his while signing on to tax breaks for some of the uh, from the wealthy Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Uh, very cruel move. Uh, closed clinics in high crime areas. So that would be something else, isn't there? A, like, a, is there another category in health issues that Lori Lightfoot has there? Yeah. All right, I would put that in the health issue one. You know. So once again, bettertogetherchicago.com. If you have some ideas. Send them uh, her way. All right. All right. Now it's uh, time for this little portion. Uh, uh, one of my favorite things that happens on Wednesdays. It's uh, time for our Monroe check. So uh, what's the Monroe? <laughs> Anderson is our 130 guest. Uh, what's the status see. on Monroe? Uh, check your uh, email. Breaking the fourth wall here, yeah, listeners. It's me who grabs the guests. Yeah, so no, no, uh, we're on the fly here. Yeah. Several hats here on the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, no, no update from him, but I, he told me earlier he's on his way. Okay. Monroe so, is on his way. He's on his way. He's driving. All right. Well, luckily, we have more stuff to talk about mm -hmm. here. We're moving on. For those who loved the pairing of Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel and our former Illinois Governor Bruce Rauner. Yay for our teachers! <laughs> Yay for our teachers! Yeah, that guy. Wait until you get a load of Mayor Rahm and Governor J.B. Pritzker. Woo! Now, you see, listeners, because our last governor was a Republican, he and our Democratic mayor would act like they didn't like each other. Ooh, that pesky governor. 
But at the end of the day, Bruce Rauner's some rich dude from Winnetka. So you know Rahm Emanuel loves him. <laughs> but since the new governor is a Democrat, well, they don't have to hide anything. Yeah. Oh, they can show their love for one another out in public everywhere. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Tina Svondellas, also the woe man, by the way. Mm-hmm. Her name just doesn't rhyme with woe man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emanuel, in the waning days of his last mayoral term, showered compliments on Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker for his 92 days in office and previous uh, philanthropic work as a private citizen. The two political powers joined forces at Aon to announce a new statewide apprenticeship program that models of the Chicago Apprentice Network within the City Colleges of Chicago, Aon, and other major businesses. Pritzker announced a new partnership in Southern Illinois while also vowing to create more programs statewide. And now for the comedy portion of today's segment. <laughs> we have some quotes to read yeah. from today's gathering. Monroe Anderson has arrived. Monroe always Anderson love, is here. Always love when Monroe Anderson's in the studio. So what we'll do is we'll uh, read one of the quotes here from uh, Pritzker and Rahm's event, and then we'll uh, read more later on. All right, so here is um, a quote from yesterday's gathering between J.B. Pritzker and Rahm. This is J.B. Pritzker talking here. Quote, and now without further ado, the mayor who I want to say, you're almost out the door, Mr. Mayor, Pritzker said. I'm not pushing you out the door. I'm just saying. And then, uh, Ron, boy, what a comedian this guy is. Find him at Zany's next weekend. Yeah. He says, hey, as long as it's not the window, I'm okay. You know what? I got to give Ron credit. You know, I'm very critical of Ron, but that was actually kind of funny. I saw uh-huh. that. I read that in the newspaper. Monroe, it was pretty funny, wasn't it? Funny little wisecrack from Mayor Ron, huh? Funny enough. You're funny. Well, he's tough, <laughs> that Monroe Anderson. Anyway, uh, I never believed for one minute that Mayor Ron was having a real legitimate uh, feud with Bruce Rauner. I believe uh, as Rom heads out the door or through the window, wherever he's going, he, he and Ron will probably tag team at some business venture, make even more money together than they already have. Smoke right? cigars and, and sip champ uh, cognac. No, well, it was like, incredibly expensive bottles of wine, as I recall, was their uh, thing that yeah. they really enjoyed doing. Yeah. Uh, so never once believed it. And I think most people in the city of Chicago never once believed it. Along, Let's see, we do all the list of things that Ron swears up and down he did nobody believes like number one did not watch Laquan McDonald video nobody believes that number two uh, my god what was the other one that nobody uh, believes that Rom uh, says when he was like crying and when he left the city council nobody really believes that either so you know um, uh, the the Rom's feud with Bruce Rauner at the top of the list of things that people don't believe with and I you know it's interesting when you see Pritzker and Rom uh, the picture in the paper they show them together one is thoroughly likable guy JB Pritzker's got that Give people just kind of like him. Hey, JB. Rom doesn't have that luck of the draw. You know what I no, mean? No, you don't say. Anyway, but I'll tell you who is thoroughly likable. Monroe Anderson. Oh, my. And he's sitting right here. We're going to bring him on in a little while after we take this break. But before we do that, D, I want to tell you something. Well, hey, you didn't let me finish it. Come on. You're rushing it, buddy. That was it. And I said we we're going to play. Um, we're going to talk more about this. But I think we kind of put a button on that there. Yes, we did. We'll, we'll, end, we'll end it, though, with uh, a quote from J.B. Pritzker here during yesterday's event. Monroe's unzipping his <laughs> backpack. And here's Pritzker talking pensions. We do not want um, our pensions to crowd out investing in uh, all of the very important things that we need to invest in for the future of the state. That means education, that means public safety, our universities, uh, health care, et cetera. And uh, so it's important that we put a package together. We put five, uh, you know, approach, a five-pronged approach out there to make sure that we're addressing it comprehensively. Um, and I know people want to focus only on one aspect of that, but it really is designed to bend 
the cost curve going forward. No, full. listen to that guy dance. Yeah, he is uh, dancing. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's, he's, he's trying to avoid, get people to take a look away from what he's, the money that he's going to be raising through taxes to pay for the pension obligations that we've been ignoring all the years. And I notice he didn't say uh, on that list uh, handouts uh, for Lincoln Yards. Notice he said, well, you have all these important issues that people care about, yeah. education, pl- public safety. Didn't mention handouts for Lincoln Yards. Anyway. No, nope, no. Nope. But now, just like that. You're now in the know of what's going on in Chicago and Illinois. And now you will have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? Let me tell you something. Tell me. It's something that the great Patrick Beverly from Marshall High School, class of 2006, agrees. Hurry up. Something that Patrick Henry, give me liberty, give me death. And Patrick Jones, a kid I went to high school with, they all agree. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We got Monroe Anderson sitting here ready to talk Trump, Trump, Trump. We'll be right back. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for the Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live. Monroe Anderson in the studio with me. Uh, we're talking Trump, 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 legendary Chicago journalist, a former press secretary, Eugene Sawyer. Man knows more about Donald Trump than anyone in the in the world. Welcome back, Monroe. <laughs> what a no pressure. Up. No pressure, right? No pressure. Mother and Trump know more about Trump. Than oh, yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, all right. And before we get to the Mueller report, I have to my current obsession of uh, Bernie versus Trump. Yesterday, uh, we talked a lot about this. Uh, Bernie going on Fox uh, TV for an hour. And there, all the Democrats are like, don't do it, Bernie. Don't do it, Bernie. Right. Which Bernie is... kind of hit a home run. Oh, yeah, no, it's conservative stu- or moderate. Or progressive. I don't think the American people are proud uh, that we have a president who is a pathological liar. Pathological liar. So, what, first of all, did what, you, what? What do you think? Was he smart to go on? Uh, oh, he was. He was absolutely correct in doing that. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that the the DNC has sworn off Fox. They're yeah. not going to have have a, a debate there. I think that's nuts. You know, true 
Fox Cable News is is also known as Trump TV. Mm-hmm. But if you want to reach that audience, I mean, you win politics by addition, not subtraction. So you should be there. And, you, you know, if you you can convert 10 percent of, of the Fox viewers, that's a, that's a lot of people. 10 percent. Yeah, that's the swing vote. I think there is swing vote within the, the there Fox. Is, and the other thing is those people who watch Fox, that's literally that's all many of them watch. And so if you go there, you expose them to some other ideas that they have not been exposed to, never even given second thought to. And it, it may not change their minds immediately, but it could before Election Day. We have a pollster coming in after you, Jason McGrath. I'm going to ask him that. Are there uh, Trump swing voters among the Fox viewers? Now, we talk of Fox. I think of Fox as uh, ideologues of firmly in the Republican camp, built a political empire or media empire by uh, just, you know, dedicating their uh, their news. That was Roger Ailes. Roger Ailes. Now, he is no longer with us. No. Why do you think Fox agreed to have Bernie come on? Well, it was it was it was their their news segment, and some mm. of the, believe it or not, some of the the news people are actual news people. Mm. People I have a hard time believing not, that, but no. You see, what, what we think about is Hannity and all the crazies yeah, in you. prime time, mm-hmm. who are you know Hannity is an advisor to Trump. I yeah. mean, literally, they talk every day, and they he he does what Trump wants him to do. Trump does what he you know they're a couple. Yeah, um, <laughs> um, Brett. But Bear, Bear yeah. mm-hmm. is a real journalist. And so he saw an opportunity. And so he invited a mixed audience, which really upset Trump because yeah. Trump is used to rubber stampers. Right. He's like uh, he's used to an audience that's similar to our city council approaching a TIF deal. Yeah. Rubber stamp it. Uh, but you're absolutely correct. That audience. I was this is the part uh, that we were talking about so much yesterday. They responded so enthusiastically to so many of the things that Bernie said. Right. Uh, do you my initial response, Monroe, I have to admit that the, the skeptical uh, Chicago uh, observer yeah. has thought, oh, Bernie packed the crowd. Right. You're telling me that was. That audience was picked by Fox, and it was mixed. It was by, picked by Brett, and it was mixed. He he had some. He had Trump supporters. He had um, Bernie supporters. He had um, different ethnic groups. I mean, it was not your typical Trump rally mm-hmm. crowd. No, that's for sure. Yeah. I and mean, so, uh, so Trump, Trump Trump of course tweeted about it, basically. Um, trying to say that it was stacked for Bernie because well, they liked a lot of Bernie's ideas. Yeah. Now, but, you know, but the thing is, a lot of, tr- not a lot, but a percentage of Trump supporters were Obama supporters before. This went, you know, which seems very strange, but the thing is, those people want economic justice, basically, which is what Trump promised, but has not, not um, delivered on. And Bernie may actually deliver on it. Well, our generation uh, assumed that Bernie was unelectable in 2016. Right. And uh, you and I have had this conversation many times. Monroe has admitted he voted for Hillary Clinton over Bernie yes, uh, in 2016. He doesn't duck and dodge that one. He's very open about it, uh, largely on the grounds that uh, you felt that Bernie was unelectable. Right. There's no way right. this country was going to elect a guy who looked like an absent-minded professor. Well, uh, it wasn't who, for that reason. If the right-wing echo machine was able to turn Obama into a Kenyan Muslim, mm-hmm. 
then just think what they could do with a social democrat. I mean, every every, every political ad would have had a hammer and sickle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, back yeah. then, you know, four years ago, a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. A different that world worked, but things have changed right. dramatically. Well, I'm not sure anymore that things would have worked this way in 2016. But let's put that aside. Let's put okay. the the okay. Bernie Hillary debate uh, aside. Yeah. Um, do you now have you changed your view, and do you now view Bernie Sanders, Democratic Socialist, lifelong lefty? Yeah. Go back to the 70s. There's footage of him with Noam Chomsky. Footage of him talking about the Sandinistas. Uh, footage of him being a lefty right. and all his lefty his whole life yeah. unabashed unashamed right. doesn't try to duck and dodge it he right. is what he is yeah. do you think that prototype can be elected president of the united states um yeah maybe i'm not convinced yet but uh we're definitely moving in that direction i think what bernie has going for him is he's authentic mm-hmm. but he is what he is yeah he is what he has been and Trump is such a fake that, and there's also this opposite theory in politics. You know, uh, if you have one type of person president, then you get somebody completely opposite the next time out. You know. Yeah, that's uh, true. Uh, that's Obama, like Trump. Bush, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bush, Bush to Obama yeah, to, to Trump. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. So, the next president would be you. <laughs> <laughs> Monroe Anderson for president. I got to go side up. I, I forgot to register. <laughs> Is it too late? <laughs> no, you can jump in. Right. The pride and joy of Gary, right. Indiana. Right. Exactly. Right. Well, South Bend is just down the road from the, Gary. Uh, but it is. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I think he may be the guy. So, all right. Now, this is something else we've talked about in the past, uh, but you're here. I got to ask you. Yeah. In 2016, a Bernie uh, really did not do well, to put it mildly, with black voters. Right. And you cannot win the Democratic primary no. for president without getting black support. You cannot right. do right. it, Monroe Anderson. No, you cannot. So in your opinion, has he repaired his relationship with black voters, or is it pretty much the same what it was in 2016? Uh, he's trying. And it wasn't so much that it, he had done anything to alienate black folks, but he just ignored them. You know, he, he put them in this leftist... Um, trap or characterization where it's it's the workers versus the whatever you know. <laughs> black people so, are automatically with yeah, the workers exactly right it's things that black people don't care about they care about black issues yeah. not left right issues or communist versus social they're not into that yeah overall obviously there's exceptions it's not a monolith right but if you talk you talk about a mind a group think they Black people, we have our own issues that are overwhelming, and, and uh, the, the white privilege arguments don't quite fit. Okay, so Bernie now. Well, you're speaking as a baby boomer. Uh, when you say white privilege, that's a um, a millennial argument. White privilege is a very prominent, pro- profound millennial. You're speaking as a, if you talk to your sons, they may have a different point of view about white privilege. No, do you agree with that? Uh, they did, but um, life is uh, teaching them things that I didn't bother to teach. The, the discovery 
man, there is discrimination out there. <laughs> Wait, so when you were saying, when you said, I, I misunderstood, I thought you were saying that when the left starts talking about white privilege, black that the black voters don't respond to that, but you're saying actually they do no, respond they to do. Okay, they gotcha. do. No, I'm saying you, yeah. that mm-hmm. when you talk about um, the workers and the socialists and the this and the that, that's what they don't respond gotcha, to. Gotcha, I hear you, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, um, when, when women's liberation first took off, mm-hmm. Joyce's mother. Told, that's uh, that's Monroe's wife. wife yeah. mm-hmm. Her mother told her, um, black women have been working all, since they got here. So that's not their issue, whether they get they get to work or equal work or what have you. It's, uh, you know, if you're lucky, you can stay home. <laughs> a different perspective, exactly. to put it mildly. Exactly. Uh, the other thing, and we're on a tangent, but I love talking this stuff. The other thing, of course, is that the Clintons have pl- uh, put in a lot of time uh, in various black communities throughout the years since right. Bill was governor right. in, in Arkansas back right. in the day. Right. Uh, there's, is there anybody well, in... And plus, you had... And, uh, um, um, God, the novelist, I'm blanking on her. Oh, Toni Morrison. Tony, Tony Morrison mm-hmm. uh, saying that Bill was the first black president. Did you buy that? Well, she, you know, she, people misunderstood that. Okay. She, was, she wasn't saying that he was black, black. What she was saying was that he had some of the same handicaps that many black men have had, to overcome. Have to overcome, you know, a single family, mother mm-hmm. raised, poor. Uh, Etc. So she was speaking metaphorically. Yeah, exactly. People, people are so literal minded. They in took this country. literally. Yes, ex- her literally, and, and she cleaned that up. Yeah. You know, but then he also he went on Arsenio Hall show and played the sax. You know, so he did the sort of things that um, a, a lot of black people um, thought that he was cool. Yeah. And and uh, and then of course when the the Republicans tried to oust him uh, in the nineties. Uh, he was the recipient, the beneficiary of so much black support. I remember that the most consistent loyalist, uh, Clinton loyalists from the 90s during that time were black voters. All right, we've gone far afield, but clearly Donald Trump uh, views Bernie Sanders as a threat, Monroe Anderson, because he went on a Twitter rampage. Exactly. Well, you know, because the thing is, the ratings were high, Mm -hmm. the attention was high. In fact, the ratings were the highest for any political gathering so far. In, in this time yeah and that's his station you know trump thinks of that as his house and bernie went into his house <laughs> and took it over yeah and so he is not happy and what what it does is it also shows that he's not as impenetrable his his, his circled wagon mm-hmm. is not as impenetrable as you might think it is there are weaknesses there. Oh, yeah. Well, clearly he's trying to attack Bernie. He gave him a nickname already. Yeah. So they're calling him Nutty Old Bernie or whatever yeah, he's yeah, calling right. him. Uh, crazy, crazy, crazy Bernie. Crazy Bernie. Uh, and uh, he um, gave a nickname. He felt he uh, effectively undercut Elizabeth Warren's campaign by giving her a nickname, right. Pocahontas. Right. And he did that with the Republican candidates. Yes, he did Except that. Except Bernie didn't fall for it so far. You know, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't go, come back with something. Because, uh, again, Bernie is Bernie. Yeah. <laughs> so, he's yeah. in his own world. He's in his own world, man. You cannot get Bernie Sanders off point. You know what I'm right, saying? He's right. always on point. Exactly, because he's been he's been preaching this this gospel for 40 years. <laughs> Monroe, and it's all he knows. I sense Monroe that you're warming up to one Bernie Sanders. Oh uh, yeah. Although I've, I I I I like um, Mayor Pete. He's he's, he's now. I what like, do you like about Mayor Pete? 
I mean, I, I, it's not that I have anything against him. Yeah. I just I don't know that much. What do you no, like no, about he's, him? He's cool. I mean, he really he's cool under pressure. Not only does he have charisma, mm-hmm. but he's poised and he has issues. Yeah, he got attacked today. Did you hear? Or yesterday it was. Did you hear? Uh, it was it today or yesterday? Um, anyway, Why? he was um, attacked by some um, anti-gay group. Mm-hmm. I did not he, hear this. He was yet. doing a he was doing a a, a rally. Uh huh. And and they started talking about he was talking about his husband and mm-hmm. their relationship and what have you, and this guy in the audience started talking about remember Sodom and Gomorrah. Started yelling it out at him. Yes. Uh-huh. yes How did he right. handle that? He he poised because the guy had done it at another. What they're beginning to do is follow him around. Yeah. Now that he's getting a, 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 some mm-hmm. following and money, so. Um, what he did was he stopped and didn't say anything. And the crowd started um, chanting, um, Mayor Pete, Mayor Pete. Mm-hmm. And then he, 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 he speaks up very calmly. And he says, um, he, he says well, whatever um, my shortcomings, this is an exact quote, but mm-hmm. pretty close, whatever my shortcomings are, my God will determine that. Mm. Uh, but in the meantime, to the crowd, you get to vote in the Iowa primary. <laughs> he's in Des Moines. Yeah, he's, yeah, in, he's Des in Des Moines. Yeah, okay, he couldn't yeah. be there. Uh, just uh, people, may, Mayor Pete is Pete Buttigieg. He's the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He's pretty much everything that Bernie Sanders is not, at least uh, demographically. He's 37 years old. Right. He's, so as he's a, as millennial. He points, as he points out, he's going to be Trump's age in 2054. <laughs> that is so deep. <laughs> the notion if he were elected, I mean, it really would be erratic. You, you, right. you talk about electing different types. Right. I mean, just in every sense of the word, exactly. it would be a different type. Exactly. And and I find this extraordinary, Monroe. I saw the poll uh, that Bernie's been tweeting out or texting out or what have you, yeah. where he is 29% number one yeah. among Democratic yeah. voters. Yeah. Uh, Biden, is, Biden 24. is 24. And Mayor Pete's in third place, yes. I want to say. Yes, Somehow or other, this, the mayor of South... Listen, man, I'm so old. 102,000 people. 102... Monroe... The only thing I think comparable I have in my lifetime, is, and it's your lifetime too, because you're an yeah. old fogey like me, yeah. Jimmy Carter yeah. in 1974 emerged from the post-Watergate haze where people were just so disgusted with politicians as usual yeah. and was the Democratic nominee largely because he was everything that Richard Nixon was not, came from Georgia. You know, yeah, and, and he was the governor, one-term governor of Georgia, and it was a similar thing. And people said, "We'll turn to somebody who seems so unlikely." Yeah, well, the Republican was challenged too. There's a challenge. I'm trying to, yeah. In the, you talk about in '76. Yeah, it was Jerry Ford was the yeah, uh, right, and he was, a, he was challenged by Ronald Reagan. Right, yeah, right. and oh, that's the other thing with Trump. He has a challenge. Well, right, William Weld, yes, former governor, he has of, a challenge. And in modern times, no president. Has gotten reelected when challenged. When he has a challenge, he's prime. He prime, challenges in a prime. How much of a no, threat? no, no president? Is that right? None. I'm gonna have to think about okay. this. No, none. Uh, you, I, okay. I, I'm thinking in modern times. Okay, right. in modern, modern times. times. Yeah, talking about since t- since the TV days. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, how much of a threat do you think William Weld is? We were talking about him earlier in the show. He's the former uh, ma- uh, governor of Massachusetts and the Democratic. In, in terms of Republicans, he is what you would call a liberal or a moderate. I mean, he's 
He in where the Republican Party is now right. anyway. Well, actually, he's human. Yeah, he's a human <laughs> being. Yeah. <laughs> So how much of a threat uh, do you see him to Trump? I think he's going to take Trump out. I think. I oh, think, my God. I think he's not in not in not in the not in terms of winning. Yeah. But he's going to ruin whatever. And, and I know I think Trump's chances of being reelected are slim to none. All right. By the way, I have to say uh, pollster Jason McGrath is joined. We're going to bring him on a little while because political junkies are in this room. Monroe Anderson, Jason McGrath. I'm just going to let Monroe talk a little bit more for and Jason can absorb this and come up with his thoughts on this. You think that William Weld, well, the former I'm, I'm, governor yeah, of well, Massachusetts, well, he's at three percent right now in the republic among Republican voters. Yes, you think he's a, a serious challenge to the nomination? I think he will be because there are many Trump voters, and I'm glad he, you have a a, a a guy who really knows what he's a talking pollster, about. Yeah, poor yeah. <laughs> 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 Jason. The, the my, pressure's on. He's more of a Democratic <laughs> pollster. Yeah, Quick, right. do a poll of Republicans. Exactly. No, but he has to study the opposition. That is he correct. He can't be good at it and, and, and just know one side. So you think that uh, William Weld? Do you think he's capable of winning a primary too? Uh, that I don't know. Yeah. That, but it doesn't matter. The the fact is, there will be enough rep, rep, uh, Republicans voting uh, for him in the primary and his criticisms will weaken Trump. It, it will rob Trump of his um, in, um, invincibility, mm-hmm. his, his cloak of invincibility. Uh, Dennis, I can't remember. Did we actually have a tape of William Weld talking or was it you reading his quotes? Yeah, I was just reading. Okay, reading. Well, maybe uh, when we come back with Jason, we'll read some of them and see uh, if, in his opinion, uh, the kind of rhetoric that William Weld used would be effective among Republican voters. I, I found it effective. I found myself nodding along, Monroe, but I'm he not. Said a- people were eating Trump's dog food. Yeah, it was the dog right. food. Yeah. Oh, no, he's got to take Trump head on because that's how he is. He, he is as much a showman as Trump is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, 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 so it's, it's, it's going to be really entertaining. Get out your popcorn. All right. Now, before uh, we take a break and bring Jason, I have to ask you really quickly. Tomorrow is uh, Mueller Day yes. in America. Uh, finally, we're going to get to get the Mueller, see the Mueller report. I'm sure it'll be redacted all up and down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Worse than well, what there, Chicago does. No, no well, that's the, the debate. It's more than likely that it will be, but no one knows for sure because while... Barr is known to be partisan, mm-hmm. but this William it, Barr, Attorney General William yeah, Barr. Okay, mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah, and the thing is, in this instance, because he's already being called out, um, the Democrats are in control, so they can um, subpoena him, mm-hmm. and 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 theoretically, they should be able to bring Mueller in. Who may say no? That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. Mm. So he has to be a little more careful. Now he's still Trump's guy, and will remain that. Bar, but yeah, Bar is still Trump's guy. But mm-hmm. but what Bar will have to do is have it legalistic enough where he can finesse it mm-hmm. in protecting it. He can't just be blatant about it. Mm-hmm. So that so that's what we're going to see tomorrow is is how he couches it. Where he can put this thumb on the scale for Trump, but but not be not so obvious that people go oh, look at that thumb on that scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
he has to be uh, a little subtle about the game he's going to be playing. And by the way, Trump has said he's going to have a squadron of lawyers going through the Mueller report, uh, which leads me to uh, he wants us to believe he hasn't already have access to the report. They already has. Right. This, yeah, right. Like Bar, not- Bar, when Barr was before Congress, mm-hmm. he, he did not say when he was asked if Trump had seen it. He did not answer the question yeah. because he was under oath. Uh, and he did not want to have to lie under oath. That's Monroe Anderson. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Jason McGrath is sitting right here. We're going to bring him on right after this. Hey, Jason. How you doing? The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the Reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Hey, everybody. Producer Dennis here. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, April 17th is moments away. But before we get going into hour number two, we would like to thank the following unions for getting together and helping bring the Ben Jarofsky show back. It's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board with us here and of course today's show is brought to you by our friends at the chicago federation of labor hour number two let's go it is wednesday april 17th and live from the chicago sun Times chicago reader studio on racine avenue this is the ben jarofsky show In this hour of the program, it's Katie McFadden of the Sierra Club, and he's a poll man, political pollster, Jason McGrath. And now your host, well, he's an old man, (laughs) Chicago Reader columnist. Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. Katie McFadden on her way. Jason McGrath here. We twisted Monroe's arm. He's sticking around. We're going to get pick Jason's brain, get him talking about Trump. Bernie, Democrats, Republicans, and he was Lori Lightfoot's pollster. We'll talk about uh, sort of the psyche of Chicago voters as we head off in, into 2019 and uh, the Lori Lightfoot era. So we got a lot of political talk with Jason McGrath and Monroe Anderson. And Katie McFadden's on her way from the Sierra Club. Always love having Katie on the show. Before we do any of that, do you got an update for us? Absolutely. Some quick updates here. First off, we are only eight likes away from our next caption contest on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. Head over to the page now. 
now at Benny J Show, B E N N Y, the letter J Show. Ben, spell that last name for him J O R A V as in Victory, S K Y. Head over there, like I said, eight likes away from the next caption contest. Give us a like, and it's going to be a Donald Trump caption contest. We haven't done that in a while, so mm-hmm. please feel free to send a like. And uh, when we hit 1200, we will have the next caption contest. All right, the, uh, the YouTube live stream chat is somewhat blowing up here let's okay. uh, read a few of the chat messages uh first off steven boy he's left us like 80 of them here we always appreciate it i'm gonna find a good one that you said here let's see here he put uh oh can you ask monroe to talk about tucker carlson mm. and the potential impact tucker is having on trump applause meter policy platform mm. yeah that would probably fall under the category of uh, hannity correct Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Anything you like to say, Tucker? In fact, he's he's well, no, he's not worse than Hannity. They're two peas in a pot. Those mm. guys are. I mean, Tucker. Their quotes from Tucker uh, saying misogynistic things, racist things. I mean, he's he's perf- He's a perfect spokesman for Trump. Mm-hmm. All right. Earlier, we uh, played a moment between J.B. Pritzker and Mayor Rahm Emanuel, and uh, it was a little uh, event they had. They were giving speeches, telling jokes about each other. Oh, they're having a great time. <laughs> Stephen also asked, "Did Rahm tear up like he did at City <laughs> Council last week?" Uh, <laughs> he saved those tears at the council farewell. And finally, Kyle says, "I don't know. I wonder if Weld is just going to be a punching bag and is just going to end up being there for taking jabs." All right. Now that's a perfect uh, transition. Thank you very much, uh, Dennis. Uh, Jason McGrath, first of all, thank you for coming in. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. And uh, you've been on the, our old show of Visa Phone, but it's the first time you've been in studio, so I appreciate you coming by. Lovely studio. Uh, yes, yeah, lovely little studio they Not built bad, here. Not bad, right? Not bad. All right. Uh, I, there's so much I want to ask you. You're a pollster. Uh, you are Lori Lightfoot's pollster. So before we get into some Chicago stuff, your thoughts about the state of Chicago psyche, let's talk just that William Weld. Uh, Monroe and I were talking at length about William Weld, the former uh, Republican governor of Massachusetts, it, it, announcing that I either is definitely going to run against uh, President Trump or pro, or might run or is considering it. Uh, do you think he can have an impact uh, in the Republican nomination process? No. <clears throat> no, not really. I, I think that the Republican primary voter is a Trump voter. First and foremost, his numbers among the, the Republican primary electorate are stratospheric. Um, there was obviously a lot of bloodletting in the 2016 race, but in the last two to three years, there's been nothing that the president has done that hasn't been just aces for your average Republican voter. If if there is an impact of Bill Weld in this race, it will be to uh, serve as another useful distraction for Trump, who loves to pay attention to whatever is in front of him at that moment, whether it's uh, you know a squirrel or something <laughs> buzzing in the room. It's not normally the thing he's yeah. supposed to be paying attention to the thing that he's being paid to pay attention to so you know as a democrat and as somebody who is interested in taking back the white house every day that he's focused on bill well polling at three percent or four percent is is better than him going after elizabeth warren or kamala harris or somebody else who he really should be worried about yeah yeah well let, let me ask you this jason um i'm sure you heard me point out that no president in modern Times, who has been primary, went on to win the general. So can well do enough damage to Trump to help him lose? Although it's my personal theory that Trump couldn't, I could run against Trump <laughs> <laughs> and win the presidency yeah. and the general. But, but anyway, can well do yeah. enough damage to Trump to even weaken it more? 
Uh, I mean, I think by August of 2020, Bill Weld is going to be as relevant as he was two days ago, which is to say not relevant at all. Um, people are going to move on to what really matters, which is whoever the Democrat is versus Donald Trump. Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. That's really the only thing that seems to matter in any of the coverage, in any political conversation in the country, whether it's here in Chicago or anywhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely correct with that. I'm just, I was doing a little uh, trick here. Presidents in my lifetime who yeah. were primary in laws, oh, I can only think of LBJ uh, and uh, Jimmy Carter. They George H.W. Uh, Bush. Uh, George, 92? Pat Buchanan, right? right. Yes, right. very right. good. How did right. I forget Patrick right. Buchanan? Right. You got to bring more nerds into the uh, studio. <laughs> right. Right. Jason right. McGrath knows his stuff. You're right, Patrick Buchanan ran him out of the right, and he right. gave that passionate speech mm -hmm. at the convention. They let him get it. He looked ridiculous doing that. Um, and with the Democrats, you have, you have um, McCarthy, Running. He, he, well, that's uh, LBJ in 68. Yeah, LBJ. Yeah, and, and, and Carter and in 1980 Ken with Ted Kennedy. Yeah. yeah. And then there was one other. Uh, I think that's it uh, in terms of, of my lifetime. All right. Now, Jason, here's the other thing we were talking about. Um, the prototypical swing voter, uh, Rahm Emanuel and David Axelrod uh, talked about this in the past when they were putting on their uh, political uh, geekdom hats. The prototypical suburban swing voter, and the Democrats have always uh, had traditionally sort of run their national campaigns trying to win those voters over, sometimes at the expense of their base. But the, the idea is if you get those swing voters, like the Maryland swing voter, the Virginia swing voter, uh, you could... Uh, you, you, you will win as a Democrat. In fact, there's a notion that the Democrats have to do that uh, to win at the presidential level. Um, so do you think uh, William Weld's candidacy could hurt Trump with those voters? I think those voters, those suburban voters, those highly educated, typically white um, suburban voters, people in Sean Caston's district or Lauren Underwood's district, they're mostly gone for Trump. Um, <clears throat> what I'm... What I'm trying to figure out and what we're all trying to figure out in 2020 when we talk about who the swing voters are is, you know, is it that suburban voter that's historically been Republican but switched over to 2018? Are they going to move back? No, they might move back for Republicans. Um, probably not Trump. And, you know, if they didn't vote for Peter Roscom in 2018, they're not going to vote for Donald Trump in 2020. I'm personally more concerned about the Obama-Trump voter who looks different who is more likely to be blue collar, who is more likely to be union, who is more likely to um, you know, live in the upper Midwest, Michigan, Wisconsin, parts of Illinois, Iowa, places where Barack Obama, I work in the, uh, I work a lot in Iowa, and the first congressional district of Iowa is a place where um, Obama won by, I wanna say 12 points mm -hmm. in 2012, and Trump won that district. Uh, Dave Lopesack is retiring from Congress uh, in 2020, Donald Trump, that's a blue district. Donald Trump won that district. Yeah. Um, a lot of this has to do with, and this is one of the, people ask what happened with the polling in 2016, uh, which was by and large actually quite good, but the misses were based on educational attainment. Historically, and I don't wanna get too far in the weeds, but historically, um, there are a lot of things that would determine people's vote. Race, um, in some respects, age, uh, gender, things that were somewhat correlated. Educational level was not as correlated. That has changed um, dramatically to the point that right now, if you look at the top, and I'm going to speak you know, broadly, but if you look at the top 50 edu best educated congressional districts in the country, mm -hmm. I think Republicans hold like three of them right now, and we're gunning for them. Um, because it has really become 
a big, big deal. Like this was this was Illinois six. This was uh, Minnesota two. This mm-hmm. was uh, the Pennsylvania suburbs. This was uh, the Philadelphia suburbs. These are places that have historically always voted for Republicans. Very well educated, high income levels, and they're gone um, by and large. And there's just remnants holding on for the Republican Party. And uh, so this, I Monroe alluded to this earlier, and you just picked up on it. And I find this uh, so hard to comprehend. And this is where I was so wrong in 2016. Obama voters who went for Trump. Uh, Monroe alluded to that earlier. You just picked up on it, Jason. Let's talk about that a little bit. That's where I was so wrong in 2016. I'm not a pollster like you. I don't get to see the, the, the numbers break down. I just found it so difficult to believe that a voter who went for Barack Obama in 2012 or 2018 can turn around and vote for Donald Trump, a Donald Trump type, in 2016. It's, 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 it's the money, stupid. Yeah, really. It's, it's about their poor whites have not um, done well in the past 20 years. And they were very frustrated. Um, if, if you remember close to the end of the general when we were going into the recession, mm-hmm. big time, um, McCann screwed up on the, the the answer to economic issues, mm-hmm. and Obama sounded like he knew what he was talking about. So that's why I think they've. They you mean okay. McCain? That's what I mean yeah, McCain. McCain. Sorry, yeah, McCain, yeah. McCain. Mm-hmm. McCain. John uh, McCain. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He 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 didn't have a good answer mm-hmm. for the economy at all. Obama did. So they, they took a chance on Obama. The economy got better, but it still didn't impact them. And it hasn't really impacted them now. In fact, things are getting worse because pretty soon we're going to have automated buses mm. and trucks. So truck drivers and bus drivers are going to be out of work. Do you see it the same way, Jason? Yeah, we did. So we've done so many focus groups over the last few years with those types of swing voters. And one of the things that seems clear is that you, know, you and I, and, and I think most people who are paying attention, can tell that he was selling a load of BS mm-hmm. to people, yeah. but he was talking to them. Yeah. And he was looking at them, and he went to where they lived, and he felt like somebody who at least was trying to make a connection. Mm-hmm. And I would compare him to Barack Obama in that one respect. And I think if you were looking between the brand of the Democratic Party in 2016 and the brand of the Republican Party, you know, somebody was talking down to people in their perception. I don't think that's really what you talk about was Hillary doing. Clinton. Yeah. yeah, I don't think that's where she actually was, but the perception was baked in that the Democrats and the elites, and Trump did a great job of fueling this, were talking down to people, to working people, and Republicans were talking to them and listening to them. Now, they were lying to them, yeah. um, but you know, look, would you rather be talked down to or lied to? I think a lot of people would rather be lied to, because at least you don't find that out till later. <laughs> What a choice, but yeah. Right. Well, yeah, All right. not, not so, the greatest choice. Uh, so we've already, Monroe and I have already been talking about this. I'm utterly obsessed with this for at the moment. I have obsessions that come and go from time to time, Jason. By the way, I just have to point out, uh, Jason McGrath is wearing a Philadelphia yep. 76ers. Is this just because you like the look of that hat or no. are you actually from Philadelphia? Uh, I, oh, I'm from Philadelphia and I trust the process. And <laughs> And we're going to beat the Nets and hopefully go and eventually play the Bucks. I can't right. wait for that. All right. Well, he, D- Dennis has already said I've used up all my sports talk. <laughs> <laughs> all time's up, buddy. Maybe like five seconds. Uh, go ahead. Five, five seconds. If, be... uh, real quick, if the Bulls get Zion, though, maybe I can. All right. Okay. Yeah. Please get Zion. <laughs> sports right. time over. All right. Anyway. All right. So my other uh, other obsession other than basketball is uh, Bernie Sanders 
and the performance he did on Fox TV the other night, which really stunned me. It stunned me so much. As I keep saying, people, the cynic in me, Jason, thought that he, Bernie, had packed the audience. Trump obviously agrees with me on that point. Um, so do you think that Bernie Sanders, as a pollster, and I know you don't, you're not working on any national campaigns now, but do you think that Bernie Sanders has established that he could win, that, like, the, the conventional wisdom that a lefty of his persuasion, that far left, could never win on a national level. Do you think that performance Friday or uh, Monday, I think it was, conv- uh, it shows that he could possibly win? Well, I think there are a lot of reasons to think that he could win. Um, I think that his messaging in many respects aligns with a large segment of the Democratic primary electorate. Um, he has proven a very adept fundraiser, which matters. Um, a lot of folks are, are doing well in that respect, none as well as he is. And, you know, it's a marathon. You can, you can do really, I mean, Pete Buttigieg, very exciting candidate. Um, will he have the resources and the stamina to go all the way? That's an unanswered question. It's really hard to know. Right. Sanders has proven that he can raise money, have enough money to sustain himself. Um, it's different. He was the alternative. If you didn't like Clinton, you had Sanders. If you didn't like what the establishment of the Democratic Party was putting forward, you had Sanders. Mm-hmm. Now you've got 20 different options today. Um, there will be more, yeah. there will be less. Um, there will be other people to judges who come out of nowhere. And you know, the question for anybody in this totally unpredictable race where I won't even wager what's going to happen is who has that staying power. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's historical precedent. I mean, we remember Howard Dean, exciting, on message, army of people out there, you know, slow and steady won the race for John Kerry. He had the right, he had the right team in place, mm-hmm. which I think speaks well to Elizabeth Warren, by the way. She had the right, he had the right team in place. He had a, a message and he had the resources to go all the way through. Same was true with McCain in 2008. He was dead four times before New Hampshire. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, we also talked about uh, Bernie's appeal to black voters. I'm wondering if you've seen any polls uh, to show whether he uh, is doing going to do better this time than he did in 2016, or will he suffer as he did back you then? You know, I haven't looked at the crosstabs. There's so much focus on Iowa and New Hampshire, and, and as everybody knows, when you really want to care about what African Americans think about, you go to Iowa and New Hampshire. Right, exactly. <laughs> but, but there, there, skip, skip South Carolina. Yeah, but right. There, but there are there are polls out there in California and South Carolina where Sanders and Biden are up there. Kamala Harris in California, Buttigieg is rising, um, and I, I I should have dug more into the crosstabs there. But look, you're not going to be the nominee of the Democratic Party if you can't connect with. Hispanic voters, African-American voters, especially African-American women, yeah. just not gonna be the nominee yeah. of the party. It's 2019, this is who our party is. Yeah. I mean, if there's, an, I mean, look at every close election in the last five years, look at Stacey Abrams, the numbers with uh, African-American women is like 98%, like mm. that's our base. If you can't connect with our base, yeah. and it's not just economic populism or you know, democratic socialism. I mean, these are actual people. They're not labels. They're not ideologies. Right. They're people. If you're not talking to them, if you're not connecting with them, you're not going to win. Yeah. Yeah. And as I was pointing out earlier, Bernie has not had to do that, so he hasn't done it. But he's trying now. He's making appearances in black venues. Yeah. Which he, he didn't do much of a couple of years, a few years back. 
Yeah, no, and I've actually seen him do commercials talking about his uh, days as a, a college student in, here in Chicago where he was uh, participating in uh, open housing marches and that yeah. kind of thing. got arrested. Uh, and, a, a long, long time ago. It was a long time ago. That, just, be, oh, that reminds people that he's also not the, you know, the, the next generation. Yeah, as well, the next so. generation, there's that. All right, you mentioned African-American women, and it's a perfect transition, uh, Jason McGrath, uh, into the fact that uh, Lori Lightfoot is our mayor-elect. Well, you noticed. Yes. Uh, and uh, Jason was a pollster for Lori Lightfoot. Uh, so either they were really smart and picked a good pollster or you were really smart and picked the right uh, candidate to work for. Um, I got to admit, Jason, uh, I, I was surprised. How dare you? I know. I, I didn't think she was going to make the runoff. Uh, my money was on, uh, in fact, Monroe's money as well was on Daly and um, uh, on Tony. So what did we miss that your poll numbers showed that, indica- that ex- explains why uh, Lori was able to uh, reach the top? Yeah. I mean, look. I'd love to take credit for everything, all credit due to Lori. And there was a lot of um, a lot of taking advantage of the 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 playing field as it was, and you know, a little bit of luck as well. We looked at uh, the electorate in late January. Mm-hmm. This was the same week that had a poll come out, a public poll came out that had Lori at three um, in ninth place out of fourteen candidates. Mm. We had her, I think, a little bit higher, but. Um, the one thing that was extreme, the two things that were extremely clear in the polling was, were, one, it was wide open. Um, we knew that, that Tony Preckwinkle was in pole position, but, you know, Susanna Mendoza was behind her. And then there was a giant cluster of seven or eight other candidates sitting between seven and nine percent. I mean, mm-hmm. wide open race. Mm-hmm. Somebody was primed to catch fire. People did not want to vote for a Burke-connected candidate. They didn't know who to vote for. They weren't sure what they were looking for, but they wanted something else. The second thing that was uh, interesting and compelling in the data was that none of the candidates were particularly well-regarded. And I've been polling here for a long time, and um, I remember when Tony Preckwinkle was the most popular elected yeah. official in Cook County. Mm-hmm. And I you know, had not seen a lot of data more recently that had shown anything different. So seeing that was another indicator that, look, this is an electorate that is looking for something different. They don't love the people they know. They didn't really know Lori very well. Her standing was, was you know, average, 20-something favorable, 20-something unfavorable. Um, a couple of things happened. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in this building, so I should probably say it. the Sun Times endorsement was yeah. very important, um, obviously for the readership, but also because they were saying the same thing that we were saying in our ad, in terms of the need to have a, a different direction for the city and to end some of these backroom deals and to have a progressive path, but also one that is about uh, change and about a. Uh, and I, I hesitate to use the word reform because it means so many different things to different people. I hate but, using it at all. But, yeah, go ahead. but in, in you know, as a shorthand, a reform candidate right. was something that mattered. Um, you know, and then we were able to get a lot of really fun endorsements from people like Robin Kelly and Scott Wagaspak at Quality Illinois, and these sort of all were timed very well. Um, like, and the, there were smart people on the Preckwinkle campaign who who noticed that we were coming up. But we came up at the right time. I think if we had peaked three days earlier, they would have gone on television and and taken a shot at us. Uh, I think if we had peaked three days later, we probably would have finished third. Mm-hmm. Um, we benefited greatly from uh, a significant expenditure 
um, uh, a negative expenditure against Bill Daly. Mm. Um, not, I, I mean, we're not competing with the same voters, but it definitely gave us the space to um, to to rise and have the negative conversation on the other side of the debate and not on our side. Um, so you know, I, I I didn't think we were going to finish first, but we knew probably a week out that we needed to be prepared for uh, something that a couple months ago had seemed less likely. Mm -hmm. And what is it about uh, the world that exists today, the zeitgeist of today, uh, uh, Jason? You know, people like Monroe Anderson and myself have been railing against uh, the Chicago machine, the Ed Burks, uh, the way we do business in the city of Chicago for years and years and years. And usually people ignore us. Uh, and, <laughs> and, you know, yeah, that's bad. He's nuts. But all of a sudden... Today, in January of 2019, it worked against Tony Preckwinkle. It worked against Bill Daly. It worked against Gary Chico. All of a sudden, everybody in Chicago was like Monroe Anderson and Ben Jarowski. <laughs> as frightening as that is, Monroe. What changed? Why suddenly did Chicago become a city of quote-unquote reform? They heard us. <laughs> yeah, right. fi fi I mean, you guys got the new studio. Everything sort of changed. There, I think there's two things, right? One, um, you know, I... I I will not oversimplify things and say that we won because of Burke. That's not true. But it was a very, very important crystallizing moment in the race that really highlighted that this problem uh, is real. And it had been a long time, I think, since somebody of that stature had been taken down. If it's not in the front page of the news, it's just the noise that you're used to hearing all the time. It's just sort of the way that the city works. And for this to sort of be crystallized and have four leading candidates um, all tied to him in very direct ways mm -hmm. really changed the dynamic a little bit. Now we had to make the most of it, obviously. The second thing is there had never really been a candidate like Lori Lightfoot to take advantage of a situa situation like that. Mm -hmm. um, I and mean, besides the historic nature of her candidacy, the first woman of color, the first uh, openly gay candidate to, to become the mayor-elect, um, She's a former federal prosecutor. She had put an alderman in prison. Um, she had she had run against Rahm Emanuel after writing the Police Accountability Task Force. Mm -hmm. She had showed herself willing to take on the system. And mm -hmm. you know that's not, even in 2011, when there was an open opportunity, um, every candidate who was communicating and who was part of the debate was really sort of part of what people assumed to be whatever, it's the machine or the establishment, that was not true with Lori, and that was different. So not only did you have sort of this story that is always kind of background noise, be front page news for weeks and weeks and weeks, mm -hmm. you had the other candidates tied to Alderman Burke, um, but you finally had the candidate who could credibly make the argument that she was different, that she had proven it in the past, and that she could show in the future to be different. That mm -hmm. was, that's I think what, I mean, because there are other, quality candidates in the race, but they couldn't make that argument, not to that extent. All right, uh, Katie McFadden has entered the room. We're gonna bring her on in a little while and uh, and change the conversation a bit. But before we do that, I have to ask you this, Jason. Uh, Monroe and I have talked about this in the past. Wonder what your thoughts are. You were the pollster, you were there, you saw the numbers come in. Was there, now, Monday mo uh, morning quarterbacking, was there anything Tony Proquinkle could have done differently that would have, uh, had it resulted with her winning this election, or was it just a foregone conclusion, given everything you just said, that she was going to lose to Lori Lightfoot? 
I don't think she could have won. I know she didn't have to lose by 47. So there are some things what, that she could have done differently. Yeah. Well, if, if you had, could name one, what would it be? <clears throat> I would say don't try to instigate a debate over who's more progressive when the electorate thinks that the other candidate is more progressive would be one thing that she could have done differently. In other words, just be who you are. I'm a boss. I'm proud of it. Listen to your pollster, I guess. Uh, Listen to your pollster. How about that, Monroe? Listen to your pollster. That usually works. Yeah, that usually works. That's what pollsters say. Anyway, uh, Jason McGrath, I think, is going to stick around. Monroe Anderson's going to take off. Monroe, before you go, any predictions on Trump and his taxes? Will we see Trump's taxes in the next week? Yes or no? Not in the next week, but we will see his taxes, and we will see the full Mueller report sometime sometime yeah but not 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 this week not next week we'll still be talking about it next week we will be i'm I'm hoping for a daniel ellsberg type uh somewhere in the bowels of the justice department who will leak the whole report they're going to give us a redacted version tomorrow with with orange paint and yellow paint and this and that monroe i'm hoping that there's somebody who leaks this stuff and uh i kind of had to step away for a minute i'm not sure if monroe said any dirty words but let me just cover it just in case the views and actions of monroe (laughs) anderson do not reflect those of the ben jaromsky show no he he was he didn't say anything we had uh, as well they should not Yes. (laughs) All right. Very good. That's Monroe Anderson. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Katie McFadden is on deck. We'll be right back after this. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for the Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show.
commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. Yes, Monroe Anderson has left the building. Monroe Anderson, like Elvis, has left the building. But uh, Katie McFadden has taken his chair, a deputy director of the Sierra Club, and we twisted uh, Jason McGrath's arm into staying. Boy, was that a force fight. We had to force him down. Get it, lock the door. I know, it was intense. <laughs> Political uh, pollster extraordinary. Extraordinary, I should say, Jason McGrath from GBAO Strategies. One more time. GBAO Strategies. I was negligent. I should have named the name of his company. Way to go. Uh, uh, but I think I uh, made up for it by saying GBAO Strategies. Jason McGrath, Katie McFadden. D, got an update for me? GBAO Strategies. One, One more time. time. Right. May as well, right? <laughs> Get that uh, t-shirt out. Just a quick update here. Ben, ask and you shall receive, oh, sir. Wow. I bet you don't even remember saying this. I do not know. We were talking about our email address, which, by the way, BennyJShow at gmail.com, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, show at gmail.com. We've had it ever since we started the show. We just announced it the first time yeah. today. <laughs> Forgot all about it, honestly. Yeah. But uh, then you said, oh, yeah, send us a man. Send us a meme. <laughs> remember you said that? Yeah, I do remember. All right, well, Someone we got a meme. a meme. Yep, Babbers. Oh, yeah, my man Babbers. I love the rift going on between you and Babs at the moment between Pelosi and oh, all that. Gotta ask Jason McGrath a Pelosi question. Please do. Before right. I let him out of this. Studio. So the meme that uh, our good friend Bab, it's posted on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. Go check it out, everybody. Once again, B-E-N-N-Y-J Show. Uh, ben, it's your Facebook picture. <laughs> you know, Can you see this right here? Yeah. Okay, so Ben, your uh, Facebook picture. Yeah. It does look like you're like in the Everglades or something. <laughs> it's hunting a for crocodiles. Uh, yeah, it's a long time ago. Uh, yeah. yeah, so uh, go check this picture out and then Babs put him uh, put at the top of it I live in a van down by the river you gotta love Babs man yeah, he's giving pretty... me a hard time about Nancy Pelosi and, keep it up Babs it's fantastic content yeah, it is and fun hey stuff. let's get the meme party going send a meme over on the Ben Jarosky show Facebook page or our Twitter page at Benny J show uh, you got some competition I don't know if you're gonna top Babs I live down by the river meme but yeah. you know we'll see no Babs put on my Facebook page after I admitted uh, Jason and Katie how much a fan I am of what Nancy Pelosi is doing in terms of keeping the Democratic Party together uh, in Congress I'm not saying I'm a fan of her policies i'm not saying uh, i'm a fan of the way you know sort of the direction uh she goes and politically speaking but that's a very uh, difficult task that she has a lot of different powerful strong personalities from all spectrums of the democratic party and i've been com <laughs> complimenting her for keeping the party together and babs has been uh taking the other point of view uh that you know she's too much of a Gam with a capital D. Jason, you have something to say on this? It's subject? a tough job. I mean, they begged, begged Paul Ryan to take that job on the other side, and he was terrible at it because yeah. it's a terrible, difficult job. This is the second time she's now had this job, and she—it's what she does. Yeah, she gets her votes. She gets her people together. She serves as the punching bag when the party needs a punching bag, and she can punch back just as hard. So, yeah, I, I think I think she's figured it out in a way that. Uh, and McCarthy or anybody on the other side has, has yet to do it. What do you think, Katie? Are you a fan? Um, yeah, I agree. I think it is important to recognize districts are different. And so there's going to, you know, to the extent that you can account for that. And I think she she does allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I'm also a big AOC fan. So I think some of the criticism and uh, sort of like ball she's been throwing it at, at some of that wing of the party, I think it's just important to recognize that those districts are different and that 
still means we need Democratic Party unity, but to make space for that. Now, let me ask you this, and that's uh, AOC is another one of my obsessions. Uh, I just saw the movie. It's called Knock Down the House. I've been talking about it obsessively here. It'll be on Netflix next month, and it's a um, documentary, Katie, uh, about the uh, Democrat, four Democratic women who ran uh, in primaries, uh, upstart pri- candidates in 2018. Three lost, one won, and the one that won was Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. And it really, it's behind the view scenes you get to see alexander ocasio cortez so i recommend it as a political mm-hmm. junkie you get you see that jason you as well uh but my question is this do you think there's something strategic about uh, nancy pelosi criticizing the aoc wing of the party just to sort of keep in you know she'll every now and then distance herself from the aocs of the world uh in order to sort of make the party look a little more central to, not to alienate uh those centrist voters do you think there's something strategic going on there Uh, 100%. And I think that's why I don't disagree with the policy of, you know, like the DCCC just put out saying, you know, don't work with anyone who's primarying Democrats. I don't disagree with Nancy has to do her job keeping Democrats. That's her number one thing is to keep those people in office. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean we shouldn't primary Democrats. It doesn't mean that you can't have sort of both and. It's it's obviously people doing their job and, and having to play those roles. All right, now this is part where I uh, disagree with that policy and love to hear what Jason has to say about this. That We talked about this earlier. I had some Bernie Sanders folks in uh, last week and we were talking about this notion that um, if strategists go to work for insurgents who are running against incumbent Democratic Congress uh, women or men, that the Democratic Party will not hire them uh, in the future because they've worked against the um, the, the nom- excuse me the incumbent. I personally think that's a self-defeating strategy because number one, the, the real reason is like let's say you're really talented. Let's say you're a really talented pollster or a campaign yeah, manager. We're not, we're not actually saying that, but let, this is just a hypothetical. <laughs> yeah, hypothetical. Right, okay, let's say you're really good at it, yeah. uh, and you prove how good you are by uh, leading the charge and unseating an incumbent. Wouldn't you want to bring that kind of young talent, or they don't necessarily have to be young, wouldn't you want to bring that kind of talent into your party so that you get the best and the brightest? <laughs> It's like a basketball analogy saying, well, we're not going to take the coach that beat my team because he had the temerity to beat my team. So well, I, full disclosure. So we work with the DCCC. We work with Chairwoman Bustos. So I have a perspective on this that I think will not surprise you. I, I think it's a totally appropriate. Uh, it's First of all, it's not new. It's it's being talked about in a different way, and it is it has been codified. But it's, it's, it's certainly nothing new. And I, I think what gets lost in all this is this is their job. This is Sherry Bustos's job is to keep her caucus in office, whether she agrees with them or not. If they pay their dues, if they vote for Pelosi, if they are Democrats in the Democratic caucus that ensure that we have the gavel, that's what that organization is designed to do. So the leverage that they have in some respects are they do work with talented operatives. Um, and they can tell those operatives that if you want to work with our organization, which exists solely for the purpose of maintaining this caucus mm-hmm. and bringing new members in, then we don't want you to work against those interests. I think that's totally reasonable. Now, operatives get to make that decision. There's a great market out there now for people. There are a lot of operatives who don't work with the DCCC, and they should go work for somebody else. But, you know, I don't personally subscribe to that. Um, I don't hold it against any operatives who do, but then they shouldn't work for the organization that's also designed solely to keep those people in there. And this is, you know, there are a lot of 
members out there who don't want to need to stick their heads up and be a part of this conversation, but are quietly very, very supportive of a policy that makes it easier for them to get reelected. And, and some of those folks are really good progressive members of Congress who we want to keep around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I certainly don't see any problem with it. And I know I, I, I have friends who disagree with me and, and I understand it's a, a perfectly reasonable debate to have, but look, that's what the DCCC is. Mm-hmm. It is incumbent protection. So if you're not protecting incumbents, don't work with the incumbent protection organization. All right. Uh, one of the incumbents that they presumably will be protecting is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Right, exactly. Maybe uh, she'll need their help. So. <laughs> and uh, that'll, it's a perfect transition to have Katie McFadden from the Sierra Club here to talk about the Green New Deal. Uh, this, of course, is a uh, platform uh, that uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez has been championing, uh, for better or for worse, for her political future. Uh, so, why, Katie, why don't you just start by sort of summarizing some of the tenets, the, the principles of the Green New Deal? Absolutely. So I think it's important to remember that the Green New Deal is not a piece of legislation yet, right? It's mm-hmm. not um, laying out exactly what policies the uh, the country should should take forward. It's more of um, a principles document, and it's this idea that we need to take the next number of years to actually get the right people in the room and make um, the policies that we need, because we're hearing increasingly that we have less and less time to take action. Um, And we're recognizing that the way that we do solve and stop the climate catastrophe and, you know, prevent what scientists are saying is going to happen very soon if we don't take dramatic action in our economy, that the the solutions to the climate crisis are tied to the solutions that we need for so many other parts of our society. And so what that means is it means we're tying, um, you know, wonky environmental policy, you know, at least what has historically been, to initiatives that confront head-on social and racial justice, and that the way that we're going to solve all these is actually together. And um, that's sort of the main tenet of the, of the Green New Deal. And I would add the second tenet of just being being that we need to be bold right now. We can't afford um, a half-step solution. We need to actually put forward what we need for the climate and what we need for, for our society. And so um, why this is so exciting to talk about in a state like Illinois um, is we have recognized this already um, and we have started implementing and putting forward even more policies that look Green New Deal-esque, I would say. <laughs> um, and so there's this great um, Vox.com article that recently came out that said, hey, Illinois is actually already doing some of this and proposing to do even more of it. Um, and so kind of saying that Illinois leaned into some of the most contentious parts of the Green New Deal. And the contention that they speak to is tying environmental policy with social and racial justice policy. And um, I think many people who have been working on the front lines of the climate movement have recognized this for a long time um, and that that these policies need to be tied together. So some examples of what I mean mm-hmm. um, when I say, you know, tying these kinds of policies together would be recognizing the the racial injustice that is climate change. And so, you know, and the and the social injustice that is in climate change. There are certain places in this state where we put coal-fired power plants. There are certain places in the state where we would never propose to build a new coal-fired power plant. And as we move beyond fossil fuels and to clean energy, how do we right the wrong that has been environmental injustice for so long and ensure that those that are... Fr- 
that are first in line for these new jobs because we're creating a whole new sector of the economy. Um, how do we use that as a way to actually um, right the, the wrongs that we've had in the past? So in the Future Energy Jobs Act in 2016 that was passed, um, this included provisions where um, low-income people and people of color would be first in line for those jobs. And how, how do you do that? Let's say in the state of Illinois, if you uh, a program that's uh, if you're going to promote clean energy at the same time you want to create a jobs uh, in neighborhoods where there's a high unemployment, how do you tie one to the other? So we actually put in provisions um, where the training programs that would train folks for these jobs have set numbers of people that would be trained from certain sectors. So we put goals in FIJA saying, we're going to train 1,000 people coming out of the criminal justice system. Um, who are ex-offenders that now are going to be clean energy business people um, or solar installers or energy efficiency consultants. Um, and we actually put that as as criteria in the bill. We also said that those who have, sh folks should have access to these clean energy um, projects. So we shouldn't just put it, be putting solar on rooftops in Winnetka. We need to be putting solar um, in all parts of the city of Chicago. And so we have provisions around um, the community solar projects that are funded and where um, they actually, who can have access to those. And when you're dealing, uh, when you're when you're trying to promote environmental issues uh, to the electorate, uh, this is a question I'm going to ask you, Katie, but it's also a, a Jason question. Uh, so much of the time, you're fighting this notion that anything remotely environmental is elitist. Uh, the Republicans have effectively used this. I, I find this a remarkable how successful they are like they make fun of the whole notion of climate change like it's a made-up issue uh but obviously it's something that you have to deal with that at the sierra club uh, katie you're dealing you know you're in the, an environment that's very much shaped by trump tweets and uh republican uh you know electioneering on this one so how do you counter that notion that somehow or other a care and interest uh in the environment is an elitist issue that doesn't really affect ordinary human beings. I am, it's a weird answer, but I almost think we don't. Like I think that people are there, and so um, you know we see um, this movement for climate justice coming from young people, coming from community groups on the south and west side, coming from you know organizations that are also have missions around racial and social justice. And so I almost want to say, you know, this is already happening. We don't have to try to make it happen. And instead, what we need to do, especially as um, the environmental movement and recognizing that the Sierra Club is part of a long history of, um, frankly, white environmentalists who have been you know, more concerned about getting the exact policy right than involving the right people, that we that the table of who's making these decisions has to be bigger and more inclusive. And so it's more this work that we're doing with ourselves more than anything. All right. Well, you have some, uh, uh, some uh, bills or some proposals uh, in Springfield right now on the state level. Talk a little bit about those and how much uh, widespread support they have. Sure. So we have um, one big bill, the Clean Energy Jobs Act, CJA, um, with Representative uh, uh, Williams as the sponsor in the House. Ann Williams. Mm -hmm. Ann Williams. And then uh, Christina Castro in the Senate is our Senate sponsor. Mm -hmm. um, and these bills have, oh, I wish I had the exact count, a lot of co-sponsors on them right now. And we're really building a lot of momentum behind um, this bill. And what it does is it actually sets a goal for Illinois of getting to 100% clean energy for the entire state um, by 2050. Um, and it sets an interim goal 
of getting completely off fossil fuels um, by 2030. Mm. It would be fossil fuel 100% free. clean energy by when did you say? 2050. So it's a very bold proposal. It has a lot of, uh, it's a big bill, so we don't have to get all the way into the weeds on it, but the, the gist is looking at how do we actually transition away from fossil fuels in a way by planning now so that we can protect communities that are going to be affected so that we can ensure we're amply having time to ramp up the clean energy economy, um, that we're able to include actually like transportation solutions in this as well. So how do we transition our transportation sector um, towards clean energy and uh, more electrification? And so it really is a big sweeping amount of proposals um, that is very exciting. Yeah, Ann Williams, by the way, will be on the show next week talking about this. So we'll be talking about this more in this, uh, specificity. Are the Republicans signed on to this bill? I think we have one Republican co-sponsor in the House <laughs> right now. That's that's <laughs> huge. That's bipartisanship in 2019. <laughs> We're proud of that one. One Republican. I mean, gotta start somewhere. I know the Sierra Club has got to be uh, nonpartisan. So I don't want uh, you got to answer this question delicately, Katie McFadden. Um, wow, one Republican. I will say, okay. the Future Energy Jobs Act in 2016 that was yeah. passed did have, it was Republicans, Democrats, Chicago, suburbs, downstate. The vote count was probably the weirdest vote count you've ever seen in terms of the support um, for that bill. So I... Worth noting. We'll see if we can get there. All right. Well, you gotta you gotta build up on that one. One is a very lonely number. Katie McFadden from the Sierra Club and Jason McGrath Polster from GBAO Strategies. He was Lori Lightfoot's uh, uh, pollster in this last election. So now he's a political genius and can predict all kinds of things. Sure. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to ask him a few <laughs> questions about Donald Trump and windmills. We'll be right back. Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. All right, that's super cool. Music means we're coming into the, the show. We're not done yet. And by the way, yes, indeed, that is true. Jason McGrath, when he's not doing polling, plays the piano. He's playing the keyboard right now on that oh, song. <laughs> not well, only I'm, glad you, I'm glad you like this election. <laughs> 
Yeah, you're right. I really love it. Not only is he a great poster and a Philadelphia 76ers fan, he plays the keyboard, Jason McGrath. Uh, Katie McFadden is playing the organ in this song. All right, we're going to bring him back with a few more questions. But before we do that, do you got an update for us, young man? He is good. <laughs> yeah, he's so piano. good, man. My yeah. Lord. Not so good at picking basketball teams, but he's really <laughs> oh, good at the piano. Says the <laughs> oh, he Bulls says the fan. Bulls fan. My God. <laughs> Trust the process. You still think it's 1996? <laughs> what was that record again? 20 and 60? Uh, 22 and uh, I believe they won 22 games this oh, year. Let's get it right. Great. Factually yeah. correct. All right. Great. We have some great update. That's, the build. That's like getting one Republican co-sponsor. It's, it's a I start. Actually, <laughs> I actually think 22 wins is better than one Republican. <laughs> on the it's debatable. I mean, like, we're only like water overtaking Miami right now, Republicans. Anytime you want to take it serious. Uh, Seriously, though, yeah. you got some stones at the Bulls <laughs> fan. They- All right, right, we have quick updates here before we go. Uh, Hey, way to go, Ivanka Trump. The president's daughter said today that Donald Trump asked her if she was interested in the job of running the World Bank, but she passed. Okay. Way to dodge that bullet, yeah, Ivanka. Yeah, really, yeah. All right. And uh, during a uh, 2020 presidential candidate, South Bend, Indiana, uh, Pete Mayor Pete Buttigieg, yeah. uh, he has a campaign event today in Iowa. Also at the event, yeah, this is unfortunate, uh, anti-gay protesters dressed as Satan and Jesus appeared at Pete Buttigieg's Iowa campaign event today. Mm, yeah, Monroe was talking about that, yeah. So that's going I, I can't, I honestly can't see how that hurts him in the Democratic primary, just to remind people that he has as a life experience that I think, um, you know, that, that fits very well with where the Democratic primary electorate. You know what? When we were talking yes. about the changes in the city of Chicago, uh, I didn't even mention that's just, that uh, we have just elected an openly lesbian woman, uh, Lori Lightfoot. Did they, when you did your polls and your surveys, Jason, did that even show up uh, as a factor that like, would influence voters one way or the other? We heard a couple of people talk about it in focus groups. Um, and mostly in a, the most neutral way possible is something that they had heard about her. And we even heard one or two people have a concern with it who, by the end of our conversation, were enthusiastically supporting her because it really wasn't about that yeah. at all. Um, it's who Lori is, and it has informed m- much of her um, experiences in her life, but that's not what she was talking about in the campaign because that's not what the campaign was yeah. about. Uh, by the way, uh, J- Jason wanted me to tease Katie a little bit here at this moment because uh, you <laughs> you endorsed the candidate that lost. Is, uh, so talk about that. Why did you guys go with Tony Prickwinkle? That sometimes happens, right? Uh, um, we The Sierra Club has worked with Tony Prickwinkle for just a number of years uh, as in her role as alderman, in her role as county board president. She had been endorsed by us in that uh, capacity when she ran uh, for board president. And she really had led on the environment um, and, and still is in that capacity. She, The county um, signed on to the Paris Agreement goals, um, set some really bold goals when it comes to energy use across the county, um, set a goal of 100% clean energy for all county operations, um, had done a lot of work around um, water conservation. So we had, we knew her and we were, you know, confident that if she became mayor, we'd continue to be able to work with her on really bold environmental initiatives in the city. And so in thinking about, especially during the primary process, uh, which candidate 
we were going to be for um, that's who we went with. Yeah, so you knew her and uh, you went with her and you guys, uh, 75 to 25, it was a shellacking. Uh, by the way, before I go back to the environment, quick question. Uh, when the Preckwinkle, I don't even know if it was the Preckwinkle people, but when there was those flyers, those anti-gay lesbian flyers that were uh, uh, circulated throughout the Chicago, did that, Jason, show any signs of... Uh, no, I, I mean... It was just another opportunity for our team to show just the breadth of support across the city because people were calling that out as the disgusting low trick that it was on the south side, on the northwest side, on the north side. Mm -hmm. Progressives, moderates, conservatives, nobody wants that anymore. And so it was just another opportunity. Same thing when um, in the debate, Preckwinkle mentioned uh, Lori's sexuality. It was off topic. It was not something that really mattered to a lot of people who wanted to talk about change and they wanted to talk about crime and they wanted to talk about TIF reform and they didn't want to talk about that. So anytime that became part of the debate, it was just an opportunity for us to remind people of why so many different types of voters were supporting Lori Lightfoot. All right, Uh, uh, Katie, and I have to ask you this one. I talked to you about this briefly at the break. Um, We made fun of it, we had fun with it, but um, uh, there's also a serious underside. Donald Trump uh, always mocking the environment, environmentalists, uh, the environmental, the issue of the environment. Do we have that, do you? I don't know if we have that tape, but we've played it so many times where uh, he's going, I don't know where he was, he was giving a speech to somewhere, and he just started making fun of the notion uh, that we would use windmills. Uh, and uh, he's got this thing about windmills. I think he owns property that's, that somebody wants to put windmills. It, it's it, it's course, a golf course right? thing. It's yeah, a, it's it's about having windmills on the, um, if you have a, a oceanfront golf course, they somehow spoil wow. the day. You're which is, which the, is really weird because every single uh, miniature golf course I've ever seen has got a windmill. <laughs> uh, Should be on there. If, if you have a windmill anywhere near your house, congratulations. Your house just went down 75% in value. And they say the noise causes cancer. Vince's you told me part. that one, okay? <laughs> Okay, that's our president, ladies and gentlemen. I do that stuff sounds. like that on the show all the time, but I'm not president of the United States. All right, so first of all, let's just pick it apart. I mean, getting into a... Do uh, windmills cause cancer? Yeah. Is that your question? <laughs> I'm no. not a doctor. Yeah, I'm not a doctor, so. but... Uh, no, 75% of your value. I mean, you just throw stuff out there, you know? It's, <laughs> I So, it's absurd. Well, let's start there. Let me tell you what I'm more concerned about, Go which ahead. is that there... You know, he's saying these things, but there is a concerted effort with a lot of money behind it to fight wind proposals across this country. And they do it by um, it's a Koch brothers thing. They bring people to D.C. to train them. They deploy them out to rural counties because a lot of these decisions, the zoning decisions happen at the county level. They go and they stir up all this uh, worries, telling people their property values are going to go down, telling people they're going to get go crazy from the light flicker and go maybe cause cancer, I suppose. Just the noise. Um, but what what this is doing is it's, we're seeing this have an effect as we're trying to get to 100% clean energy um, that seeing this happen not only in Trump's tweets, but on the ground in rural communities. Um, a lot of times the Sierra Club or partners will have to show up and, and be a validator along with you know the company themselves, which is unfortunately not how I would love to spend staff and volunteer time fighting this craziness, but it's a, it's a real effort that's happening and it's a real well-funded effort. And uh, so what is the ultimate goal of this effort? To block wind proposals one by one across this country. So that we're more dependent than ever on fossil fuel. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, by and large, I mean, we are talking about 
20% of the electorate having an outsized influence over what 70 to 80% of the electorate What want. do you mean by that? People want clean energy. Mm-hmm. They see it as an opportunity to be a global leader. They see it as an opportunity um, to uh, wean ourselves off of you know harmful um, forms of energy, uh, fossil fuel energy. And they see it as a job creator. They really, I mean, we did, we worked with um, NRDC on a major project a few years ago where we did focus groups in five states and a couple of national surveys. And it was, I mean, it was a joke. There was very little pushback. People truly believe that this is the way of the future. Mm-hmm. We can lead on it. We can create jobs in communities that need jobs. A lot of people on the ground feel that way as well. But you know, 20% of people is still a lot of people. All right, wait, now, that's an interesting thought, uh, Katie. Think about that, 20, uh, let's let's assume that Jason's got the numbers right. 80 to 20 uh, are in favor of clean energy. Uh, and yet, Donald Trump and the Republicans, and, and Jason said this earlier, he is the Republican Party. Like, William Weld is not going to win the uh, Republican nomination. They seem to believe that they can be elected president, that Donald Trump will be elected president again by mocking the very concept that our earth uh, is under siege by climate change. Um, Do you think they're right? This is not a change in strategy for the Republicans. This is, this is one of those things where it's like, this was happening for a long time before Donald Trump was ever in the picture. And we have to remember that. This has been their strategy. This has been the ExxonMobil strategy. This has been adopted by the Republican Party because of campaign donations from the fossil fuel industry. This is not a Donald Trump phenomenon. This is why we haven't had action on climate for two decades, even though knowing that it is happening. It's a follow the money situation completely. It, yeah. it really, I mean, there's there's no other benefit to them except to continue to fund their own. So campaign. what is the best way, if Donald Trump is going to uh, attempt to um, uh, demean, trivialize the issue uh, by making funny noises of a windmill uh, and saying something absurd that the noise causes cancer, if you're Bernie Sanders or you're, uh, I'm just looking at the list of candidates, uh, uh, Christian Gillibrand uh, or uh, Kamala Harris, uh, and you're running against him, and it's a debate, and he's making fun of this fundamental issue. What, in your humble opinion, Katie, is the best strategy to deal with this? Know that you have the 80% on your side, and speak to it in ways that um, speak to the constituencies that you need, because those are the ones that are leading on climate, that care about climate, that see it as a positive. Um, so again, I wouldn't play into it. I would say, I would, you know, you, you have to know you have the 80% on your side. Talk about it in real world terms. I mean, this is not an AOC versus Trump debate. This is actually about people and people who want to have jobs, people who want to have healthy children. And you can talk about this in a way that connects and is less political and less charged. And I think that's where people want to have the debate anyway. All right, one of my obsessions, as Katie knows from my last show, she would come on, I would always talk about uh, the Foxconn uh, situation in uh, Wisconsin, and that's where the people, the, the government of Wisconsin and its infinite wisdom decided to give mil- billions of dollars of development money uh, to Foxconn to build a, a facility in southern Wisconsin, and I kept going on and on, Katie, they're gonna cause flooding in northern Illinois, they're gonna cause flooding in northern Illinois, and lo and behold, today, Tribune has a story report Foxconn could bring record flooding to Gurney, which of course is uh, Northern Illinois. Uh, You get to that issue, Katie, of jobs versus flooding. You know what I mean? Jobs versus environmental damage. And the Republicans will hammer that 
I know you're again. I shouldn't say Republicans because you're nonpartisan, but the totally yeah. Uh, the other side, uh, the anti-environmental people say all oh, those environmentalists. They don't care if we don't have jobs. They don't care. All they care about is their flood. <laughs> they're flooding. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you deal with that? I mean, it just we have to remember that confronting flooding creates jobs um, by investing in clean water infrastructure, investing in green infrastructure, that's actually a critical job creator. So uh, also we shouldn't approve projects like Foxconn, right? So that's sort of step one if you'd like that. <laughs> but but uh, so many of the things that we want is the environmental movement. My larger point is our job, our huge job creators are not only job creators, are like new economy sector creators. I mean, they're, solar and wind are some of the fastest growing parts of our economy right now, um, you know, hundreds times faster than so many other places or so many other pieces. And so the way that we as the environmental movement talk about this can't sort of play into that frame. But we could if we wanted to invest that money in different ways, um, we could create a sizable dent. And we've done some studies in Chicago investing in clean water infrastructure that could help prevent things like flooding, which mm-hmm. we need to do for so many reasons, I mean, could have a sizable impact on the unemployment rate in the city. Like, there's that much work that needs to be done. And so if we want to invest in those ways, we can have both. I'm uh, surprised that the Republicans haven't tried to sell this as like a new lazy river ride at Six Flags. <laughs> that is next. Listen, guys, I remember this fight going back to when Jimmy Carter installed solar panels on the White House and Ronald Reagan got in, took those solar panels, because somehow or other solar panels were symbolic of what? I did played it. Probably some pollsters said it was, hey, get Shows it. that you're tough. Yeah. Taking those panels off. Yeah, shows you're tough. Yeah, you know, that'll that'll show Gorbachev. Uh, that'll show. Yeah, Ronald Reagan himself got up there and took the uh, panels off. <laughs> All right, uh, Katie McFadden. If people want to get more information about the Clean Energy Jobs Act, they want to get more information about uh, joining this. What what do they do? Is there a website they can go to? Anything? Yeah, like that? please check out our website, um, sierraclub.org/illinois. Lots of information about how to get involved, um, or follow us on Twitter at sierraclubil. All right, very good. Thank you so much for coming, as always. Uh, Katie McFadden, Jason McGrath, first-time visitor to the show. Thank you for thank being you. here. And I uh, also want to thank Monroe Anderson, who was our guest earlier in the day. And, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, behind the boards, pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. Ladies all love him for his body and his mind. Give yourself a raise. Take no it out No one says that. You're the only one who says that. <laughs> Me and Otis Wilson. See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, live streamers, remember, you can download today's show if you missed any of it. Don't worry. (laughs) At chicagoreader.com and chicago.suntimes.com. Yeah, give me like, uh, I don't know, like 40 minutes and I can have it posted. And hey, downloaders, you know we live stream this show, right? Yeah, it's true. Every Tuesday through Friday, 1 p.m. until 3 at the same website, chicagoreader.com, chicago.suntimes.com. The Ben Jarofsky Show is posted at the top of both pages. Find us, download us, listen to us live, whatever you want to do. See you tomorrow.